Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Thank you for tuning in to Gravity Lab Radio. Uh, man, before we get these ads rolling, really big request. Need some help from you guys. Uh, what I need you guys to help with is uh, all of you listening to these ads right now, actually download the audio podcast. Over the last couple of weeks, I recently found out a lot of our friends watch on Facebook Live. Super enjoy it. Super appreciate it. Please continue watching that way. But a lot of those friends don't realize you can download this as an audio podcast. Spread the word to your friends. Spread the word to your family. Let everybody know. Help them. Grab their phone. Show them. Teach them. Stop right now. The person sitting next to you, take their phone away. Don't tell them why. Just take it away. Download a podcast app. Download Gravity Lab Radio. Tell them they'll thank you later. Help them and show them the show. If you're already listening and you're hearing this, you are. Go to iTunes or whatever place you're sourcing this from, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, man, and leave a review. These help us. Bring awareness. Let other people know. We're growing. We got some more people coming. We got some more things going on. But the more people that know about this show, the other more guests we can get. And we're really looking to expand our guest list. We're really looking to expand and take it to that next level. It'll take us a little bit of time. We're getting more and more uh, known commodities in skydiving. We're getting more and more people talking about not skydiving. Help us spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your families. Uh, this episode has been brought to you, will be brought to you by Velocity Sports Equipment, maker of the Infinity Rig. Infinity Rig, by far my favorite rig. I've owned almost every rig. Uh, or excuse me, I've owned a lot of rigs. Uh, I've owned a lot of rigs on the market, and I've jumped almost every rig out there. A lot of quality rigs, but I have found none more comfortable, comfortable than the Infinity. They have super fast lead times, super fast turn times. They've got really good prices. You'll find them to be one of the most competitive rigs on the market, and they're extremely customizable. Right now, if you mention Gravity Lab Radio in your special instructions in your order, or if you email VSE at VelocityRigs.com and mention Gravity Lab in your order, they'll give you a free mesh back pad upgrade. Make sure you remind them. Make sure you tell them. Our good friend Riley ran marketing there. She's gone. Love you, Riley. See ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Love you, girl. But uh, Blake is there now, and, and he might need those reminders. I'll continue to remind him as well. But hit them up. Velocity Rigs. They make the most comfortable rig. Love my Infinity. Looks super dope. Looks super good. Also want to thank the Good Guys Detail. The Good Guys Detail is a detailing company. They're mobile throughout Texas. You need your wash, car, your car wash, your, your car clean. You want something done, they're going to make your car look good. They can av- wash the average Joe's car. They can wash whatever you have, whatever you need. If you're driving a man van like Nick, you're driving an Explorer like my wife, or you're driving a Lamborghini like one of my friends. I have no friends with Lamborghinis. I got no friends. They can take care of you. Basic uh, detail, basic wash. They can polish your car. You need paint correction. You got swirls. You got scratches. They can help you out. You want a ceramic coat that makes a ceramic coat that makes your car hydrophobic. In other words, it sheds water off. Think of Rainex on steroids. They take care of that as well. Mention Gravity Lab Radio when dealing with uh, the Good Guys Detail. You can look them up on Facebook. You can look them up at their website, The Good Guys Detail TX, and uh, they will give you ten uh, percent off for mentioning Gravity Lab. For the month of November, we're halfway done. My Houston homies, my Houston fans, y'all mentioned that in the month of November, you will get a ceramic coat for $700. This runs up to $950. So he's giving us a big chunk off, man. He's saving you guys $250. Super well worth it. Thought about having it done on my car. Finally had it done. I was a customer of the Good Guys Detail before they joined our show and absolutely love the product. 
man, guys and gals, tonight we're going to actually have a friend of mine, David Pugin. Met him through skydiving, of course. Met him as I ran some courses for him and just ran into what I found is a very vibrant personality, a very good soul, and a very good guy. We'll talk a little bit about his travels. Um, we'll talk a little bit about where he's been and how he's gotten where he is today. Spent some time in New Zealand. Spent some time in, in, in Peru. And in some of the conversations, we, we go a little stray. We talk about ayahuasca. And, and you might not like it. You might. Fast forward it. It's okay. And we'll also talk about 22 Kill, an organization bringing awareness to veteran suicide. Super important and near and dear to my heart, near and dear to David's heart. So tune in. Check it out. Thank you guys for listening. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have okay. we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> that, is, that is Nick Lott's line. Uh, David, I don't know if you've listened to the show much, but Nick always starts it with gentlemen. We have a little bit of intro music playing, and tonight I'm going to have to like stitch that in at the end of the show. I'm not, uh, I forgot my iPad in it, Ben. Earlier, you're like, what did you forget? I needed my iPad to run an audio board. Oh. And I didn't care. I'm like, fuck it. I can just post post. Production Do you need my in. iPad? No, you don't have all the files. Good, I'm on a weather hold over here. Anyway, You're so. on a weather hold. <laughs> so tonight, our guest is David Pugin. Do I say your last name right? Yes, you did. Cool. And uh, Ben Nelson, who's been on the show uh, uh, numerous times. You didn't say times. my name right. It's ben Jackass Nelson. 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 Father Nelson, Ben Nelson. Not a coincidence. But don't <laughs> call him daddy. Don't call him daddy. Well, not you. <laughs> He's not going to be called Daddy because I learned today that Ben Nelson likes to rub them out during weather holds. Don't you, Ben? You fuck one goat, man. One goat. <laughs> it's how many times I you fuck build, the goat. I could build <laughs> as many bridges as I possibly can. I'm never going to be known as a bridge builder. <laughs> I fucked one goat. I jerked off once during a weather hold down a world record, and now I'm just, that's it. Do you know this story? No, I don't, but so. I actually understand why you don't <laughs> want to touch his iPad now. <laughs> ben, Boy, you don't even know the half of it, my friend. <laughs> ben tells me one of the best stories. So, uh, Dave, I actually first met you through ratings. Yes. You hit me up to do some work for Tandem Rating and redoing your AFF rating. Yes, sir. You've been skydiving for how long? I've been skydiving for eight years as of August of this year. So Scoot around a little bit farther uh, that way yeah, so people can see your face. They I'm, don't I'm don't want to see my face. face. I'm looking at it right now. I don't want to see my face. And they can barely see your face. Here, let me move this a little bit. How's that? There you go. Oh, yeah, there we go. And if you want to move that. Ah, you're right. You should probably move back. Fancy tripod you can. uh So, yeah, a little over eight years now. Um, Been in the sport full time for about half that. So So eight years in the sport. How many jumps do you have now? Right around 1,800. 1,800. And you say full time in the sport, half of that. What have you done? What do you mean? So... Worked as an instructor. Well, um, start off from scratch. Oh, salute. Prost. I was just inspecting the drink, actually. <laughs> I, was, I was like, mm, let me look at the color of this thing. Let me look yeah. at it. So, uh, yeah, I did, uh, went out and did a tandem. And about three weeks later, had already done another tandem. Started my AFF out in Cluiston before it was part of the Spaceland family. Back Air Adventures, right? Yes, sir. Back in the Air Adventure oh, days. Back in the day. Oh, yeah. Fun days. Not that Spaceland is not fun. It's awesome. But, <laughs> oh, my God, were the Everglades interesting. 
So uh, started packing in the sport about a month into my AFF training. Uh, realized, holy shit, I do not want to have a regular job ever again. And um, from that point on, started skydiving, got my coach rating at the classic 100 jump mark uh, through Mr. Watkins. <laughs> <laughs> you did it so early, dude. I got mine at 120. Yeah. I was, I was basically a senior by that point. Yeah, well, he's been a senior citizen since up, I've known him. <laughs> he's grumpy, <laughs> grumpy cat. <laughs> so you you got your rating through Mike Watkins? Yeah, got my coach rating through Mike Watkins, and then from there I uh, went over to New Zealand for about six months, packed some parachutes, learned how to fly video. Uh, there was a cool drop zone over there that had some opportunities for in young enthusiastic skydivers. Came back here with like three hundred and fifty jumps, and basically did the classic. You know, sat around a drop zone, begged my way into a camera slot and uh, started flying video for um, doing video for four ways, doing videos for big ways, like 12, 16, as if that's actually big. Yeah. But um, then got into a tandem slot and bigger than a solo looking to build. Yeah, exactly. Think about which way you're pointing that mic, by the way. Just help me out there oh, a little here. bit. Nah, right yeah, no, yeah, like, sweet. Right there, right um, we're at a New Zealand. So it was in a little town called Medvin, a uh, drop zone that's no longer there at the base of Mount Hutt. And the claim to fame for that town is it has a ski resort on the mountain. And it's also the town where the production team for the second Lord of the Rings movie filmed all of those panoramic scenes with the mountains in the valley. So is that the North Island? South Island? South Island. Okay. Yeah. Well right. Middle of the country. Okay. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. Middle of nowhere. There's literally two stoplights in the entire town. And three pubs all on one corner. And Sounds like I, a good time. Ooh, there was a, a lot of IPA drink. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there's about three, there's about five stoplights on the entire South Island. So you, yeah. you got half of them covered now. Well, we got a lot, half of, of, lot of IPAs and slang orcs. Slang orcs, uh, also known as Aussies. And wow. I've learned this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was playing out. around. You're <laughs> wow, good job. Just taking it to the chops. <laughs> hey, I lived with uh, what four Kiwis and an Aussie for six months, and I realized that contrary to my you know primitive American ways, when you get those two guys confused when you're in a little intoxication, shit gets wild. Uh, so. Call them British. They really love that. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> you from England, bro? <laughs> Palmy ass cunts. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know you know where. <laughs> you know what they mean. So a British guy, excuse me, an Australian, we'll call Brit, uh, uh, people from England Brits, mm-hmm. palmy, palms, palms. Yeah. So prisoners of Her Majesty, <laughs> which is ironic because the I, the prison island is calling the people who are stuck in the uh, in England prisoners. <laughs> which I mean, you think about it. Hey, let's enslave a bunch of people, or let's imprison a bunch of people, and let's put them on this really, really gorgeous island. While we hang out and suffer in Fogville, yeah, the Brits had this <laughs> fucked up, man. They they have not quite figured it out. Well, they had that big ass empire, and they decided to stay on the little island. So you know, and now we got Crocodile Dundee and the guy who got stung by a stingray <laughs> and all sorts of like, isn't that where Kangol hats came from? Crikey, crikey, oh. it's got a kangaroo on it, man. It's crikey. from Australia. Um, how long were you there in New Zealand? I was there for a little over six months, and uh, then I kind of got a little homesick, and, and I had kicked a couple them out. Basically, yeah, um, shit. Medlin may have kicked me out, but New Zealand didn't kick me out. <laughs> um, came back because I wanted to get a video job, and I wanted to work back in Florida and see what it was what was around. Uh, I actually spent a about hot minute, actually like a month out in California, checking out the West Coast skydiving scene, and really enjoyed it. Shout out to Elsinore. Um, came back to work at Lake Wales, 
uh, they were kind enough to give me an opportunity as a young video guy. And uh, I did some tandem work there. And then when I got to a little over 500 jumps, I decided to become an AFF instructor and went out and got my AFF rating. So from that point, I did that, um, transitioned over to Skydive City and the Tampa area of Florida. After that, I decided, okay, well, life is awesome, but should go back to college, finish up my college degree, because I just kind of let that squander after a couple of years of attempting it, and then finally went back, got my degree. By the way, you don't really do jack shit with a philosophy degree, except become a skydiver. <laughs> um, um, or anything with the philosophy degree. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Hey, we can, <laughs> we can drink and talk shit, so it works out. So what do you do with a degree in philosophy? You he becomes a skydiving instructor. <laughs> <laughs> you, you go back, you call a guy named DJ, and you're like, hey, man, I really miss skydiving. <laughs> so wh- why a degree in philosophy? What, what so I actually, I, I started school with a uh, you know, undecided major, did not know. So, well, it's a big surprise, dropped out of school at a young age. and um, Dropped had, out of college school? or Oh, no, dropped school. out of like grade school. So, yeah. <laughs> what grade? Oh, middle school. Okay. Because so, yeah, when I hear grade school, I'm not thinking high school. No, like middle school. So dropped out of school. I had um, dyslexia and the classic, you know, attention deficit disorders, what all the teachers said. I just wasn't all that functional. Loved a lot of the subjects. Loved math. Loved history. But was not super stoked about dealing with the everyday average bullshit. And academically, I happened to be in an eighth grade class but I was in a sixth grade age. So did not really function well with a lot of the older students. Um, Had a couple of disciplinary issues, so my dad decided, well, maybe we can try homeschooling, see how well that works out. How long? Oh, that worked out for maybe six months, and then it was just just pissing into the wind pretty much. So I ended up basically... You know, spending my youth being a little brat, being a ruckus, and uh, then I got my GED. You mean your life? Oh, yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, yeah, I am 34, turning 34 in skydiving still, so I'm still a kid. <laughs> What's GED? Uh, way younger than us. A GED? That's yeah. a general equivalency, equivalency diploma. No, no, no. It's a good enough diploma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good enough. What's well, it work for? Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I found it funny because, like, I got my GED, and then I went to college. Uh, a few years later, because I feel I realized, okay, cool. If I want to do anything, I pretty much need a college degree. Went to college, undecided major, and holy crap, high school, I didn't really miss out on much, except a lot of social fun. <laughs> um, Which, looking back, is not actually as fun as <laughs> No, I'll tell you what. Uh, my old man was into motorcycles. We traveled a lot. We went to a lot of different motorcycle events, rallies, stuff like that. Basically, the biker equivalent to a boogie. And I got to learn a lot more about life doing that stuff than I did socializing with my peers who were jerking around doing the circle jerk during the weather hold. Um, (laughs) So after that, um, (laughs) 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 so after that, went to college, unsighted, pretty much just was kind of bored with it. Uh, At that point, well, two years into my college uh, experience, my dad passed away. Uh, passed away from a battle with cancer. And I got pretty depressed about it. He was a good guy to me. He, was, he wasn't the greatest dad. He wasn't the greatest person. But for me, he was that guy. And a friend of mine, a little shout out to uh, T. You know who you are. You're an MD now. So she was somebody I used to ride motorcycles with. And she was also a skydiver. I skydived to land. And she said, yo, if you're ever interested in going skydiving, check this place out. 
So I checked out Air Adventures and I went for a tandem. I literally had $300 in my bank account and a tandem was $199. It's like, that's enough for a tandem. Yep, that was without, me. Without video, though. No, I totally bought a $7 pair of goggles because I couldn't afford video. So <laughs> <laughs> souvenirs, man. Um, do you still have those goggles? I do still have those goggles. They're actually sitting in my garage next to uh, my base rig. <laughs> and they're pink. <laughs> I lost my first goggles. I had my first altimeter. My first helmet somebody bought for me for a ridiculous price. Some dude visiting from England loved all the stickers I had on my helmet, offered me more than the helmet was worth brand new. It was a gath. Remember those? Oh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah That's legit. And he totally was digging on it. And he's like, dude, I'll give you this much. I'm like, bro, it's worth less than that brand new. He's like, dude, I love the stickers and everything you've done on it. I'll pay you this much. I'm like, all right, cool. But when this trip's done, because we were on a skydiving trip, we were all hanging out in uh, Titusville at the time. Oh, good old Tysville. Yeah, when they had a lot of fun jumping going on. Mm -hmm. uh, Super, super fun drop zone. It was a, uh, at one point, the mecca of sky surfing. All the greatest sky surfers were all training there at the same time. Yeah, dude, that was back when they had the, uh, was it on ESPN? It wasn't on ESPN. X Games. X Games. X Games. Oh, yeah, that was the shit. Yeah, Stefan Klaus and Brian Rogers were uh, Yahoo Sky Surf. They were based out of Elsinore, uh, went over to, uh, what did we just say, Titusville Space Center. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, made their last run from there, and actually last uh, won the last championships or last gold in the X Games. Yeah, because Titusville, they were still going up to like sixteen, eighteen grand, weren't they? When they uh, were we didn't see any of those loads while we were there. We were there for almost a week. Uh-huh. Uh, so as a free fly team, uh, two of the team members was actually flying with the camera flyer, who was a free flyer, and he was flying outside video for them. And then myself as the camera flyer was also flying with them. Some we were tra- team training some, but some of our jumps would be with the uh, people we were there to coach with. I did a couple of jumps with a sky surfer who would go free fly with me, and I'd have to shoot video of him, and then they'd land and debrief and talk about those things. Yeah, good times. Yeah, so pretty pretty cool gig. But uh, that week, man, some days we didn't jump. It was shit weather. We flew in the tunnel, did whatever. But uh, I don't think we ever did higher than normal. This is like a 99, 2000. Yeah, that was before my time. <laughs> That's before planes could go that high, man. It, it was, it was, we were flying pterodactyls to altitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, but uh, not to get too sidetracked. So went to college, undecided major, and I originally wanted to major in uh, physics and a minor in philosophy. So I did about nerd, dude, real fucking nerd. Okay, um, did about a year and a half of bio, chem, and physics classes, and realized, oh my god, I'm going to be inside for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is nerdy even for me. Yeah. So had a good time and just said, okay, screw it. I'm going to graduate with my minor as my major single degree and be done with all this. And then realized a little later on, like, oh, shit, maybe I should have stayed around and got my physics degree. <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> so that was my college education. Man, it, it's uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit because there, there was a lot going on there, and i got to go back to New Zealand. My All wife right, and I, I, I love the country of New Zealand. But i got to say, man, it was the most beautiful place I've ever skydived. Dude, it's it's uh, skydiving full-time, and at that time, super heavily jumping a lot. The last thing I wanted to do was skydive on our honeymoon. It was our honeymoon. We spent two and a half weeks there. And so we decided not to jump there. And I don't really regret it because all the things we got to do because we weren't skydiving was a tremendous. It was intense. Yeah. But to get that aerial view vantage, eh, that probably would have been nice. Uh, really would have been. But back to we did a lot of extra things because we didn't. Um, but, man, that South Island. Did you explore much while you were out there? So, yeah, I got we 
we didn't we we ventured around. I didn't go to some of the places I wanted to. I wanted to go to um, what was it? Uh, Franz, the drop zone Franz. Yeah, that had, Franz Joseph. Yeah, they they're right by the glacier and all that stuff. Yeah. Super pretty. I didn't get a chance to go there. Um, I actually had two coworkers who went there the week before we were playing on had a car wreck getting back. So I was like, eh, bad juju. I'll hang out and. So we went up to the north part of the South Island to uh, skydive Abel Tasman during mm-hmm. one of the boogies and just had a blast there. Um, but the views and the sunsets, the sunsets there are just ridiculously amazing. If you're getting on a sunset load, it's like, yeah, we should be charging people twice as much because <laughs> this is amazing. You know, like you're, you really feel like you're on another planet. The I've got photos on my Facebook when I was over there. I'd post up there like, dude, what kind of filter are you using? I'm like, there's no filter, no. bro. This is this is literally there's purple and orange hues everywhere. So, so I'm getting comments saying that the volume is low. Um, but that just means we have to speak louder. No. Okay. Right? No, unfortunately. So uh hold on, time out for one second. Guys and gals listen on Facebook, I'm so sorry. Uh tonight we are running a remote feed. We're running from Spaceland Dallas, and I'm just having to run the audio from my phone. I would like to speak up louder. I would like to say things louder, but we're still recording into microphones, and I can only govern that so much. So uh, Ben's going to try to move us a little bit closer. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit better audio. It might cut out some of the video. No big deal. Um, but yeah, sorry, guys, on Facebook. Uh, really, it's a good time. If you guys have not downloaded this as a podcast, Ben, you would be shocked how many of my friends think this is just a Facebook Live event. Um, no, it's a straight-up podcast, guys. <laughs> no, it's a lot of my friends don't know. You can go on your phone. You can search for Gravity Lab Radio. You can download this and listen to it whenever you want. You don't have to rely on the Internet. You don't have to rely on this being live. Thank you to all you guys who join us uh, whenever we do this Wednesday, Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. That's super dope. Thank you so much. But definitely, no, download it. This is probably a good chance for you guys to check that out. Um, as we do remote sets, we'll get better and better audio for the phone. But it, right now, we're really focusing on, on the studio side of it. They're saying it's a bit better, which is good. But also, crank your volume up all the way, and you'll be able to hear us better. Because some people are saying that they hear it great. Turn crank it up. up your volume. Crank it up. Crank up the volume. Put on some headphones so I can... Uh, and your sweet, precious wow. Also, they're asking, uh, DJ, what are you drinking? They want to know, not the Fresca <laughs> that you just sipped. They want to know what's in the bottle. What's in the bottle? Oh, man. So um, people who watch and listen to the show know I'm a scotch drinker. And uh, I pulled up, and Ben's like, hey, let's grab a drink. I'm going to have a hopadillo. I don't have a beer often. But uh, Ben got me drinking hopadillos, and I like them. So I'm going to have one of those motherfuckers. And uh, he goes, you going to have that? I'm like, well, there's no scotch laying around. And my good boy, Ben Nelson, pulls out a nice little bottle of scotch, uh, Glenfiddich, which I'm, I'm not against the Glens. Glenfiddich is a good scotch. I'm happy with it. But this one was interesting. It is Experimental Series 01. It's a number, normal single malt by uh, Glenfiddich, but it is finished in an Indian Pale Ale cask. So it's an IPA cask. The finish on it's super clean, super smooth. Um, you really let it linger, and you get that little IPA at the end if you let it linger, if you if you hang out on the back of your tongue. So much lingering. So oh much my lingering. God. It is, it's mm-hmm. a super good one. So, Ben, thank you. You're welcome. Come by. I've got more in my uh, – got more booze in my desk if anybody's – I mean, no, I don't keep anything in my desk at all. No, because skydiving doesn't we're drive definitely not in my all. office right now, and we're <laughs> there's definitely not alcohol in my office. Doot, 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 doot. On that note. <laughs> so <laughs> back, back to it. 
The South Island, man. I absolutely love my time there. Did you uh, spend any time in Queenstown? Uh, actually, I spent a weekend there. And other than that, no. All right, man. So I tell all my friends, w- my wife and I did something backwards. So many people go to New Zealand and they land in Auckland and then they drive all the way down to the South Island and they either drive all the way back up or they hop on a plane in Queenstown and fly back up to Auckland mm-hmm. to fly back out. And we're thinking like, man, when we're Auckland, we're going to stay in a nice hotel. We're going to get pampered. We're going to feel good about ourselves. So let's go do all the hiking and stupid bullshit first and stay in Auckland last. So we did it backwards. We land in Auckland, immediately hop on a plane, land in Queenstown, and then drive to the south tip of the island and then go north opposite way. Best part of it all, we didn't realize, is now we're going the opposite way of the majority of traffic. Mm -hmm. So everything we're doing when we run across people, hey, where are you from? What are you doing? Oh, we're from here. Which way are you guys? We came this way. Oh, dude, we just came from there. You have to go to X. So we had all the fucking best incoming advice. We had a really nice schedule with a lot of gaps that we knew we would learn to fill from locals. And, dude, hey, go to Queenstown. When you're back in Queenstown, are you stopping? Like, yeah, yeah, we got we to stop there for like a couple hours. We just got to do some work there real quick, you know, hopping on emails, do whatever. Uh, the guy's like, bro, you got to try Ferk Burger. Oh, uh, yeah. Good old oh, Ferk Burger. So you don't know Ferk Burger. I do not. You fucked really? up, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, I apparently really fucked up. I, I'm going to have to like wow. talk to some of my flatmates or former flatmates and be like, yo, First of you all, bitches should have told Ferk me. Burger. I mean, come on. You want <laughs> it's to go. pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our boy Brian Menard. It's pretty dirty. Brian Menard just went and he's like, hey, man. Oh, that's where I saw it recently. Yeah, yeah. Brian Menard is in uh, New Zealand right now. And several of my friends have been to New Zealand. And I think a lot of them have started referring to Ferk Burger to each other because... A lot of it has come from other friends, but a lot of it's been this stranger told Val and I go to this joint. Dude, next time you're there, there's a line more often than not. That's what I've been told. We haven't seen a line yet. For the record, I'm pretty sure Ferk Burger, if, you go, shit. if you go to Urban Dictionary, it probably means something other than what... It's probably like fuck a sheep. It probably <laughs> means something different than what you think it means. Well, that's like a Maori. Kiwi pastime, so... Yeah. Dude, there are more sheep. We were driving from Manapuri to back to Queenstown to do this trip, and we're driving up the road on the side of, uh, of uh, what's the damn lake right there? Anyways, um, <laughs> right, right in uh, Queenstown. Um, the, uh, yeah, I can't think of shit right. Uh, <laughs> and there's a sign that says sheep crossing. And I look at that and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to see a sheep cross the road? Have you seen sheep crossings in New Zealand? Uh, it was just we, we had sheep on the fucking road that would block our traffic getting home. So what do you mean <laughs> sheep on the road? So there was li- there's literally we had a flock of sheep. Yes. On the road. We had to pull over. We sat there for 15 minutes. Yes. Well, they, ah. like I was like, hmm. I got you guys beat for sure. Yeah. You banged a sheep. <laughs> yes, I banged a sheep. It was awesome. One time. <laughs> you fuck one goat. You fuck yeah. one Didn't goat. Did we ever already cover that? Yeah, I'm just reiterating No, it. so <laughs> when you're on the, so uh, when you get above the Arctic Circle, so I've, I don't know if everybody out there, I'm from Alaska, everybody knows I'm from Alaska. I worked uh, all over the state, but I worked above the Arctic Circle for a long period of Wait time. Wait a minute, you're one of Santa's elves. I am. That I'm explains one of your height. Actually, I'm going to be an elf in a demo <laughs> next weekend, so yes, I am one of Santa's elves. You're going to be Anyways, elf in demo. the caribou herds that we have north of the Arctic Circle are so large and legally we're not allowed to like honk our horn and get them out of the way that you'll pull up and the herd will be crossing the, st- the, the road and there have been times people have sat there for a day waiting for this herd that goes off into the horizon to cross the street because they're not allowed to actually you know, irritate them. Dude, the same thing so in New Zealand. Same thing in New Zealand except I think I'd the, honk. The, uh, <laughs> the, the animals and 
Like I'm go like, to jail. oh, it'd be Honk so hard, cool to, to see a sheep. And we saw one sheep pop out over a cliff, and immediately a dozen sheep behind him, and immediately it turns into you're sitting there for 15 minutes, surrounded by sheep as they herd Which cattle across. Been the a road. fantasy of DJs for a long, long time <laughs> to be surrounded by sheep. <laughs> they say, uh, "Dude, have you seen this video called so soft uh, and Thanks, Smokey?" Thanks, what? Thanks, Thanks Smokey. Smokey. Um, I wish we could uh, do find the link, share it on the Facebook feed for this. Let me see if I can uh, find it. If you're driving your car right now and listen, this is an audio podcast. Pull the fuck over. But Google Thanks Smokey. It's a Facebook or a YouTube video, and it's pretty fucking funny because this dude walks up and he sees this hot chick wearing like this little hoodie with a little wow. Sheep, I just found it. <laughs> sheep ears on it and a little bell. And she's acting all coy and shy, and he's getting all excited. And there's another girl, and there's another girl. Said and done, it ends up being a bunch of sheep. He thinks he's fucking some hot chick. The <laughs> cops walk up, and he's fucking a sheep. <laughs> dude, it's as bad as it sounds. This, no this is going in the comments right now. Dude, so, uh, yeah, thanks, great. Smokey. 1,000% worth it, man. My buddy Adrian Glave introduced it to me, and, and we greet each other. Adrian that gave that to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's a fucking Welsh little he's sucker, a dude. Welsh, a Welsh little Welsh man. God, I love that You guy. tell him to count sheep when he needs to go to sleep, and he just looks right down in front of him and goes, one, where's the rest? <laughs> Jeez. Man. Well, I, I don't know much about you know banging a sheep, like maybe Ben does, but I know <laughs> that if you are intoxicated and your flatmates tell you, let's go see if we can catch a sheep, that shit's a lot harder than it sounds. That's one thing we used to try to do. Dude, they're fucking petrified. Dude. They are scared motherfuckers. And they can fucking bolt. They can run, dude. <laughs> we, were, uh, we were on the North Island and staying at a B&B. We like B&Bs, man. We can stay with people, right? We're going to stay with this B&B and there's some locals and super nice family. End up really enjoying these folks. And the guy's like, hey, man, we have like eight head of sheep, 15 head of sheep. I forget what it is. He's somewhere around a dozen <laughs> of cattle. And we're going to uh, shear them. Oh, wait. Before you finish the story that you're telling, your wife just logged on right now. I'm just saying. Dude, <laughs> hey, Valerie. How you doing, baby What's girl? What's up, girl? Hey, girl. Shearing sheep is this code for something? Hey, Valerie. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. So, Valerie, time. we're talking about your honeymoon and something about sheep. Uh, we haven't gotten that far. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so, this guy's like, yo, we got a bunch of sheep. You want to see, uh, w- we share it with all our neighbors. We're going to go to our neighbor's property and share the sheep. Well, you want to help us? And the whole time we're driving around New Zealand, there's these signs, there's these billboards. See sheep shearing live for how many dollars? I'm like, I'll pay somebody to fucking watch and make a sheep naked. <laughs> but this dude at this house is like, hey, bro, you want to come help us? I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Done. What do you need me to do? You're going to stand right here, and you're going to keep these sheep right here. How am I going to keep these sheep right here? He goes, well, they're going to want to run through this fence. They're pinned in these directions. But if you stand here, they're not going to go anywhere because they don't want to go near you. What do I do? No, you just stand here, bro. And... I stood there. The sheep's not going to move anywhere near me. They're, they're fucking petrified. At some point, like five minutes into this, I'm like, I leaned against this pole. Like, dude, I really don't have to do dick. <laughs> These sheep were so scared. They're just going to stand and go, ah, ah. <laughs> um, Just the way he likes it. And just the way he likes it. Ended up finding out the dude's uh, niece is, was, I don't think she still is, world record, female world record sheep shearing champion. No question. Is that with the electronic shears? Like electronic the, shears. Or the classic shears? No, no, electronic shears, and they do it in a classic work day. Mm. So they do it over like an eight or ten hour shift. 
They shear sheep for so long, they get a break, which would be your typical work break. Shear sheep for so long, get your lunch break. Shear sheep for so long. And I wish I could remember the numbers, Ben. See see if you can find out what the world record for shearing sheep is in a working day. As far as how many are sheared in one day? Yeah, in a work day. Dude, I cannot. I shave my own head. You have the same haircut I do. Oh, yeah. Super low-key, right? Mm -hmm. How quick is this haircut? A couple minutes. She can shear a fucking sheep faster than I can shave my head. I'm not kidding. Damn. It's fucking ridiculous. Wow, I barely got typed in the words world records most sheep sheared, and it popped up in 24 hours. Uh, let's see. Uh, 841. And realize they're actually taking 24-hour sheep sharing record is 841 sheep in 24 hours. And they're taking breaks during this event. They're, they're, it's not like straight 24 hours. They're actually doing a work. And they event. raised $20,000 to fight against prostate cancer. Why are we back on <laughs> prostates? I, this is what it says, Why man, are I, we back on prostates? I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I guess, wow. Hmm. Brendan Boyle, somebody named Brendan Boyle set the world record in 2007. Hmm. So back off a of sheep now. I don't know I've him. really been back <laughs> off the sheep, buddy. <laughs> you You're the one that brought up sheep. <laughs> I didn't say anything about sheep. <laughs> Whatever, man. You fuck one goat. You one brought the prostate. Just one goat. <laughs> Dude. Oh, the f- internet brought up prostates. <laughs> I didn't bring up prostates. <laughs> you plan on getting back to New Zealand anytime soon? Um, yes, I would definitely like to get back to New Zealand, especially now that, um, you know, I'm... I'll tell you right now, it's way better than old Zealand. No, I, that'd be England. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. That was just fucking... I'm, I'm going to end the show right here, right now. <laughs> Come on. Fucking hit stop. That was Fuck hilarious. This. You know what? You guys suck. <laughs> Hank, Hank would be proud of that joke. Hank would love that joke. <sighs> Hanklin Delano Roosevelt. I miss him. Hank the Tank. Hey, what the fuck did you just call him? <laughs> I called him Hanklin Delano Roosevelt. You just came up with that too, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no, I've been calling that for years. Yeah. Man. So, uh, Boots and Pants? Ooh, yeah, Boots and Cats. Boots and Cats? Yeah. Dude, man, I, I'm going to get you going again on that. Plan. He has so that wait, on you, lockdown. So, you went to New Zealand on your anniversary. That was... No, on my honeymoon. On your, uh, on your honeymoon. Uh, how long have you guys been married now? Ten God, just 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, yeah. 10 and a half years. Man, We've been living together for 15 years this month. She is a saint. Matter of fact, <laughs> I think that we woman is our, a saint. I'm pretty sure we passed our 15 month, 15 year anniversary when we moved in. We didn't really log it. I've told the story on the show. We went on one date. We moved in together, and we've been together ever since. So, the trick and the secret, gentlemen, is keeping her, her drunk all the time. <laughs> Dude, she sleeps with her mouth open, and I just drop a roofie in right before she wakes up. Last all day long, <laughs> she goes to sleep right before she wakes up. <laughs> drop that roofie. You're good to go, man. Call me Bill Cosby. How's that Bill Cosby oh, go? Wow. Did you just, <laughs> that sounds <wow>. expensive. <laughs> just go there? <laughs> uh, prove it, man. Go do a blood test on my wife and see if she's drugged. She is the most... jello pudding pop now, you see? <laughs> there it is. He does the best Bill Cosby. With the jello pudding pops in the Kodak film, you see? I'm now terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you gave me this drink. I'm really terrified. Uh-huh. And you're talking about prostates. Yeah, no, I did. I did not bring up prostates. The internet brought up prostates. <laughs> I literally read from the internet. If I blame I the internet, I don't know why prostate and sheep were even in the same sentence, but it was. So and I read it, and now all of a sudden, I'm the one that's talking about <laughs> prostates. So suddenly, your iPad's on prostates. Has your <laughs> iPad ever suddenly appeared with porn on it, Ben? No, I've never, never it happened never on a weather hold for sure. You've never. So you've got to share this story. Dave, I'm not, not sharing the story. <laughs> Dave, you've not heard the story. No, we got to hear the story now, dude. The story. So Ben, I'm not sharing you're the in a story. world record. No, I am not sharing the story. You're in a world record. 
I'm not sharing the story. <laughs> people on Facebook, people on Facebook, you need to convince Ben Nelson that this story is a thousand percent worth it. We're going to call him Mr. Weatherhold. And if you ever need A, the skies to clear, and B, you need to set First a world off, record. First off, you know what? Some of you guys don't know how difficult it is at a world record to be like, to let the, some stress out. I'm just throwing that out there right now. You got to let some stress out every now and then, especially at a world record, especially when you're in the base. So how do you let stress out during a world record, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> how do you think? <laughs> so, so question, was it in like manifest all right, bathroom? All right, the, all right, the story is happening. <laughs> Apparently the story is happening. <laughs> the story is happening. Tom Johnston, I know you're out there, buddy. And uh, he's been giving me shit about this for a long, long time. And now just I'm there. I'm there. This is where we're at. I can't believe I'm sharing this. And this is going to change my relationship with everybody that I know. Sharing is caring. I hope my mom is not watching. So I, so this is, a, this is the first head-up world record. First one, right? We're setting a world. This is the first time it's ever been done. Super excited. But, I'm sure you were. But, oh, I was. But... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm sharing this story. <laughs> so worth it. Be patient. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, man. So you're at the world record. It's stressful enough. You're in the base. We're trying for days to get this record. And things just aren't going right. And we're almost getting it. Not quite. But at the same time, I'm staying in one of the bunk rooms with a bunch of other dudes. So it's not like you have any way to, like, release the tension. Is that how you call it? Is that how you crazy kids call it these days? You don't have a way to let some of that anxiety out. And so it had been a couple days. I'm in the base. I'm stressed out already. I just want this thing to be done. And sure enough, final day, we went on a weather hold. And I was like, hmm, speaking of no one's looking. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I told, in fact, I think it was Tom Johnston. I said, hey, bro, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm just going to go take a quick nap. <laughs> because we got clouds, <laughs> and I'm going to put the phone right next to my head, and if you uh, need me, just call, and I'll, it'll wake me up, and I'll be right back here, but let me know when we go off the weather hold. And I went back and um, released some of the tension that needed to happen, and uh, yeah. it worked. We came back, and I think it was the actually the next jump. We got the world record. It was great. I was relaxed. It was perfect. I'm not going to say that that's the whole reason we got the <laughs> world record, but it certainly helped. It gets better. It gets so much better. So much. So <laughs> later that <laughs> night, we're at, the, we're at the bent prop, and uh, I'm sitting at the bar. Everyone's behind me. I, if you guys have ever been to the bent prop, it's, it's the bar at Eloy. It's, it's the bar at Eloy, Arizona, and it kind of makes an L shape. But wherever you sit at that bar, everyone in the bar is behind you. So they can see basically everything, everything that they need to see. And I'm sitting there. I got my iPad. It's folded up, and I'm like talking to someone, and I don't remember who it was. Came up and said, "Hey, when's your flight leave tomorrow morning?" And I was like, I don't know. Let me look it up. And so I opened my <laughs> iPad. And there was the last thing that was on my iPad. <laughs> frozen in time. What was Just the last frozen. thing No, there? we're not going to discuss exactly what was there. But Porn. I think we all know that there was, it was not sheep and it was not prostate. <laughs> but just imagine, imagine real quick and a pearl necklace. me holding my iPad and opening it up and it flashing on the screen and my eyes getting big and going, huh, and like, I turn my head and like everybody's looking, so I start to turn this way so these people can't see it, but now all these people are seeing it. And then I start to turn this way 
And then I keep turning, and it's just like I'm just showing everybody at this point. <laughs> and I, I should have just shut it off, but I was too like I was confused. Okay. Anyway, so what do you do? So then, <laughs> so then to get it away from all the prying eyes behind me, I flip my iPad around like an idiot <laughs> and put it right in the face of the bartender, and the screen flipped, and she looked at it, and I just went, oh. I just went, I'm done. <laughs> Can't hide it now. So Busted. Ne- next time y'all are on a weather hold, as Ben Nelson to go get some private time. And so now every time we're on a freaking weather hold, Tom Johnson's like, hey, Nelson, we're on a weather hold. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I will never want to stay in a bunkhouse again. <laughs> well, not with me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just think, if you're ever staying in the bunkhouse in Eloy, Ben Nelson's been there. And I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> Room six. We're not going to say what I did at the bunkhouse at El Sonor, so... <laughs> Man, I used to live in a bunkhouse in California, in, in Indiana. Yes, Nate Falling, it is the iPad story. You're welcome. <laughs> God damn it. And every single one of you right now. Uh, ben, thank you so much for sharing that. So I feel so much closer to you now, Ben. So what drove you? <laughs> Don't get any closer to me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what drove you to New Zealand? Uh, opportunity. So the opportunity to go over there and learn how to camera fly with, you know, 100 and something jumps, whereas the governing body over there for parachuting is a little bit different than the USPA. (laughs) And um, the drop zone I was at had opportunities for me to learn how to camera fly early. And I knew that at that point I wanted to be in the sport. I wanted to have this as my job because, oh, go figure, skydiver who doesn't really function well with the nine to five. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, we've all lived some very, not all of us, but a lot of us in the sport live very eclectic lives. We can't even really hold down a normal job, so we skydive for a living. Oh, this guy can't even calm down without going back to the bunkhouse on a weather hold. <laughs> How are you doing, Ben? <laughs> He's ready to kill me at this point. How are you doing, Ben? I hope we go on a weather hold this weekend. <laughs> so Sunday's weather's looking pretty bad, so <laughs> things are looking up for me. I don't know about you guys. Hey, yo, guys, have you seen Ben? Yeah, he just ran back over to the apartment yeah, real he's quick. He's back over mm. the hangar. Give him five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all just he needs. checking out my dogs. <laughs> Good dog. They do get excited when they see you. Is that why Max was hanging out with Somebody you? Somebody just posted something about a sponsor sheep. Who was it? Who just posted that? Andre, Andre Perez. Andre Perez, yeah. <laughs> um, sponsor sheep. Nice job, yeah, Andre. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Um, Oh, my God. <laughs> so I want to kind of veer topics. One goat. One fucking goat. One goat. You're a goat fucker. I want to veer topics for one second. I want to talk because I actually came up here to Dallas uh, a couple of days ago, actually yesterday. And in Houston and here in the Dallas area, we had a very unusual cold snap uh, for us any time of year, but especially this time of year. Oh, yeah. Way too early for the cold. Yeah. So we're doing stuff, like actually coming here, normally I I wear Newman's for my skydiving gloves, and it doesn't matter where I go, it's going to be cold where I go, I just take some of my skydiving gloves from the drop zone, and I wear them everywhere I go. So I wear skydiving gloves everywhere, and I'm coming here, I'm like, fuck, I forgot my gloves. So I swing by Dick's Sporting Good, I'm like, I'm going to buy some human gloves, some normal people gloves, I'm not going (laughs) to do anything. Yeah, they're out. Actually, they were almost out, but they had a couple decent pair, nothing bad. But in line, as I walk in, was DQ buying his thermal gear because suddenly the weather's cold <laughs> and DQ's like, son Wasn't prepared. of the fuck, I need cold weather gear. They had some pretty reasonable options, but like me, he was down to like Under Armour as an option and they're not the cheapest pair. So it really brought into my mind on my drive here and as I was thinking yesterday and today, we're jumping in the cold right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> I want to I kind of steer this conversation to what do we do, what do we recommend, and what, 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 what happens when we jump in the cold? How do you get ready for it? Dave, what do you do to be ready for cold weather sky jumping? Uh, I was not ready for it, hence why I'm wearing still my freaking Under Armour heat gear, and my hands were so numb I could barely feel my laterals yesterday. Yeah. It's so, a base uh, layer, super huge. Yeah. I, so when I was in New Zealand, I was over there during the winter season, because Southern Hemisphere seasons are flipped. You were there in July. Yeah. So I was jumping in snow. It was during the ski season when, Ooh. and, you know, I remember being that young scout. I was like, I'll jump in anything. Anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, you were an idiot. I yeah, it. exactly. I was eager. <laughs> um under a good good base layer of thermals and a good pair of gloves will save your life. Like, not just the thick gloves, but gloves that you can actually feel all of your handles properly that actually still keep your hands somewhat warm. They don't have to be toasty, but they need to be somewhat comfortable. So I want to stop and talk about each one of these topics for a second. I want to start with base layers. Ben, what you, you, you said you're wearing right now the infrared arm, Under Armour gear? Yeah, I wear, uh, so I wear uh, basically some wool thermals for my pants, under my pants, and then I'll just double up on my heat gear right now because, mm-hmm. it, especially with the hanger, like we're jumping in, what, five degrees at altitude or something yesterday. So when you get back in the hangar, it's a nice toasty 69 degrees. If I have on my cold gear Under Armour, I will start sweating. You mean the heated hanger that we have here in uh, Skydive yes, Space in Dallas? The, the, that yes. hanger? Is that, that the one that you're referring to? That heated hanger that we allow all of our tandem students to sit in and come yeah, And all of and our luxury. fun jumpers and students to pack mm-hmm. and, and relax and debrief yeah. in? Yeah, okay, just Un- check. Unlike it. a lot of those other drop zones. But um, so it allows me to basically we have better take layers. flyers off. at Spaceland Houston. Got great flyers at Spaceland. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> We have a pretty awesome packing room that our tandems don't sit in, but the rest of our fun jumpers get to sit oh, in that We care about our tandems up here at Dallas. Yeah. Tandems. <laughs> tandems. <laughs> <laughs> we let them see the entirety of their experience. So you're, you're, you're mixing the layers up because you're going in and out of the heat a lot. Yeah, going in and out of the heat, and we our temperatures yesterday raised up like 20 degrees, so it was nice to be able to just take a layer off on a 50 or 20, 25-minute call, whereas instead of like, oh, crap, i got to go change. Yeah. So. I come a little bit from a unique background as far as Texas goes because I worked in Indiana for four years where we jumped in some butt-fuck cold stuff at the end of the beginning of the season. <laughs> and Ben, you come from Alaska, and I've heard it gets cold in Alaska. It does. It gets cold. So what do you do to jump in this stuff? I'll put on shorts and T-shirt. It's warm out here, you <laughs> pussy. No, it's not. Actually, one of the things that you experience when you uh, are living in uh, subarctic conditions is that because it's so cold, there's no moisture in the air at all. It's all completely 100% frozen. You get itchy skin. You get the nosebleeds. But because it's 60 to 80 degrees below zero, there's no moisture in the air. So a thin layer, uh, uh, one layer, and then a, a something heavy on top, and you're good to go. Down here, there's more moisture in the air when it gets wet, uh, when it gets, excuse me, when it gets cold, and uh, it can eat right to your bones. And I think that's probably one of the toughest parts about jumping in places like this because you get to the end of the day for me at least my joints are achy and it's it's tough but i'm one of those guys that i need uh, i need my core to be warm more than anything mm-hmm. um i don't care too much about my feet and my hands have been frostbitten enough that over time it yeah it sucks when they're cold but i can deal with it but as long as my core my core is warm i'm usually pretty good I used to really focus on keeping my hands and my feet and my legs cold and my core was never really an issue so I was always comfortable. And then I realized if I keep my core warmer, 
my hands and my feet and my legs aren't nearly as bad. Yeah. So I've learned that. And I think, Dave, you hit, you hit one of the nails on the head is layering, mm-hmm. layering up. Like, so first of all, I, I, um, I feel bad for DQ because he got stuck with buying Under Armour, which is phenomenal gear. But I went to Amazon the other day and I got a bunch of different layers. But I'm like, man, I need a couple extra base layers. I'm wearing all these jerseys a lot lately. And in the summer, they're comfortable. In the winter, they might not. Let me get a base layer. So when I'm outside wearing some of these things, it'll be, it'll be good. I found like a brand called Tesla or something, man. 20 bucks, knockoff China. Dude, brand. I've got about a half dozen of those in my locker. They were Same great, brand. And right? they are just as nice. And they're a third or half the cost to a third of the cost. Like 20 yeah. bucks. 20 bucks, yeah. 20 bucks for this compressor shirt I'm wearing underneath this right now. Yeah. It's super comfy, super warm. They work great. And they're going to be great for up and down, in and out. What a lot of people will do is they'll buy super thick. And when it's super, super cold, I go to, I have infrared gear as well from mm-hmm. Under Armour. I'm willing to spend that much money for that. And dude, I, you'll you'll sweat balls on Under Armour thread for regular. It's awesome, but the thing that people do is they wear a lot of heavy layers, and it's not about a heavy layer. It's about two or three thin layers. Sure, more layers is better than heavy layers. Mm-hmm. Number one, Ben, even in Alaska, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? it? Makes a massive difference for sure. Yeah, and the other thing you got to realize too is that as uh, as you are uh, expending energy, you do heat up. So, for instance, if uh, as a as a climber, as a former climber. When we would do any type of ice climbing or anything in the wintertime, you start off with a thin layer because as you expend energy, you heat up. And if you start with a lot of layers and you start with all your warm gear right off the bat, then by the time uh, you get halfway through the climb, you're sweating so badly, you have to, you have to take some off. I think the, the, the goal when you're skydiving, especially for a, uh, a professional skydiver, like someone that's going to be doing tandems all day, it's a marathon. It's not a race. And so set yourself up for success because you're going to be doing it all day. <laughs> yeah. And you very, have very little time to warm up. So set yourself up at the beginning of the day, get your stuff you need, but more importantly, eat a lot of calories throughout the day, especially when it's cold because you burn more calories. You and burn more when it's cold? You burn way more when it's cold, mm-hmm. for sure. I did not know that. Yeah, especially when you get to the point where your body's shivering because as your body's shivering, yeah. it's producing heat, but as it's producing heat, it's burning calories. And so one of the first things we learn in uh, wilderness survival, um, yeah, I had lots of wilderness survival background, is when you come across a person that is, uh, that is experiencing uh, hypothermia, you, uh, you feed them, first of all. You give them food. You give them as much food as you can, and then you call it beat, feed and beat is what it's called. But beat means, <laughs> beat means you move them around. You make them, you make them exercise. You make them walk. You make them move around. But you've got to give them some food to begin with so that they have calories to burn. Otherwise, they're not going to have anything to heat themselves up. Yeah. So eat, eat throughout the day. Really, if you want to talk base layers, that's great. But if you want to stay warm, you need to snack throughout the entire day if you're going to be jumping all day in cold weather. Yeah. Also, it's like you know, especially in Texas, <coughs> we'll have a temperature differential throughout the day of 20 degrees. So you start off in an 8 a.m. load doing tandems, and it's you know five degrees at altitude. Um, two hours later, it's going to be a 15 degree differential when the sun's out and sun's completely up, clear skies, all that kind of stuff. So if you dress for that temperature when you're when it's bum fuck cold you're gonna be sweating your balls off by the midday so. think about that mike by the way you got you started the ice cream cone mm-hmm. at, not an ice cream cone a penis no. uh, uh, you got it they got lost your bum fuck you need to get it i think you need to get horizontal to the earth i just broke it <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really blew <laughs> that one bro Man, where you <laughs> one go? goat <laughs> goat fucker um another thing that a buddy uh, you, we talked about gloves another thing a buddy of mine uh john cheeseman we were hanging out at dinner the other night and he goes 
I don't find the latex trick works. So number one, if you don't know the latex trick, you put latex <laughs> gloves on. Yeah. I know I'm a latex oh, trick. No, shh, it's yeah. gloves. It's latex. No, latex. You wrap things in latex. It's very helpful. Griffin, Kenny. <laughs> what? Wrap it, Griffin. You heard me. Okay. Um, all right, Griffin. Um, you, 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 uh, in latex. Latex gloves. <laughs> latex gloves on, and then you put normal gloves on, and it traps heat. It tra- blocks uh, things in. It blocks things out. They're super warm. And John land. John's like, no, I land. And I find my hands still super cold. Do you know the real trick of the latex gloves? Do you know why he might be getting cold? Um, is he not getting any windproof? When do you when do you put the gloves on? Uh, right before you exit. So a lot of new jumpers will hear this latex uh, glove trick or any glove trick, and so many jumpers put the gloves on before they get on the plane. And then the plane, you get warm. As a matter of fact, a lot of these jump planes have heaters in them. And you get warm enough that your hands start to sweat. If your hands start to sweat, they get wet. Oh, yeah. You've got this latex barrier trapping the moisture in there. And now when you get in free fall, that moisture and that cold suddenly interacts. And it's going to interact in a way that your hands are going to get really, really cold. So if you're putting gloves on, period, latex or not, don't put the gloves on till right before you exit. Now, now do it soon enough that it's not as last second. But I do my final gear check about five minutes prior to exit. Do I do my final gear check, quote-unquote final gear check, because as I go to move the door, I do another one. But my final, like I'm climbing to altitude, this is my big, I'm getting it all done right now thing. Then I put my gloves on, and I touch my handles one more time with my gloves on, make sure I know how they feel. And then from there, move to the door, do my thing. Man, put them on as late as you can. Everybody's trying to put them on early because uh, they'll be warmer that way. Yeah. Mm, no. And they'll sweat. Yeah. And then they'll be colder that way. I think some of the biggest things that we forget, um, especially younger skydivers who just don't know, uh, older skydivers might just forget it because uh, you spend so much time skydiving when it's warm out. But when things start to get cold, obviously you want to keep yourself warm as best, best as possible, right? Windproof gloves that are thin tend to work best. But... At the end of the day, there's other things that need to change in your routine as well. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned doing gear checks, right? Well, you're introducing gloves and and maybe uh, 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 some sort of a hood that your helmet goes over. You're introducing a lot of things that you haven't done throughout the year, and that increases the amount of time it takes you to get geared up in the plane, and that changes the amount of time that you you need to do that. You Maybe you need to start that stuff early. But one of the other big things that a lot of people forget is that when cold weather hits, uh, in Alaska, when it gets really, really, really cold and you're out in it all day and your face is the only thing that's exposed, you'll get to a point where you'll be talking to people and people will think that you ha- are having a stroke or something because your muscles in your face are <laughs> so cold that you're trying to talk, but you can barely get it out because your muscles, your reaction time in your muscles are so much slower. And the same thing happens uh, in free fall. Your reaction time's slower. Now you've got gloves where you didn't have gloves before, so finding your handle can be a problem. There may be things that you need to change throughout your skydive that you haven't thought about in the past. Things like maybe you need to break off higher and pull higher because it's going to take you a little bit longer to find your handle. You just got to make sure that you're taking all those things into consideration when you're going to jump. Your muscle response time is going to be slower. Your, your The amount of bulk you have on your hands makes it harder to find your hacky. Uh, just take that, all that stuff into consideration when you're going to be jumping in cold weather because you don't want to be in a, a spot where you aren't able to do what you need to do because you haven't thought about those things. How much do you adjust your routine in cold weather? Um, well, I definitely I do 
a additional set of handle touches, especially because I have gloves on, and I don't wear gloves unless I have to. I found being a... I do the same thing. <coughs> if I don't have to wear gloves, even if my hands are going to be uncomfortable, I prefer not to wear them. Yeah. So my I, the only time I've ever smashed into the ground under a canopy was because I, again, jumping in the snow in New Zealand during ski season, um, I had winter gloves on, like literally puffy, fat winter gloves. And my hands were just cold all day, so I said, fuck it, did it. Went down, I was came in, did a nice 180 turn on my rears, and when I transitioned... You can't say nice and 180 turn okay, in the same sentence. Okay, well... We'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I was learning, I was young. Anyway, transitioned from my rears to my toggles, and I didn't realize because, again, young jumper didn't have a super awesome grip on my toggles when I transitioned. One of my toggles had slipped out of my hand, and I didn't feel it. So I... Tumbled into the ground, did a nice tuck and roll, almost ended up in a barbed wire fence. After that, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I should probably change some stuff up. Started doing a little bit more when it came to glove selection. Like, I wear super thin mechanics gloves when I do jump, and that's just to keep my hands warm enough while I'm in free fall or under canopy so I can tolerate it. I want as much feeling and sensation as I can have. So, like, when I'm in the plane, especially if I'm doing a tandem or even if I'm just doing an STP or fun jump, I do another round of handle touches just to go, okay, cool, this is what this feels like. This is exactly the sensation I have. And just like you were mentioning earlier, I put those on at the very last minute. Like, I will literally, when our pilot calls one minute out, that's about the time I'm starting to put my gloves on. Because I'm just, I don't like it. I, my hands sweat as it is. I'm a hot weather fan. I don't like the cold. So yeah. I try to keep them on there as minimal as possible. Mechanics gloves work super awesome. And, and one of the questions I want to lead into are what gloves are you using? Ben, what do you use for gloves? I have some Under Armour gloves right now that don't work very well, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Yeah. But they look cool. They look great. They look really they cool. They look super cool. And if you yeah. hold my hands up like this, you can see the picture of a bird. <laughs> I, I have a couple different types. But really, uh, one of the things that I do throughout the day is I have hand warmers. Little those little uh, ones that you expose to the air and it warms up and they last for like ten hours and I like to slide those in my gloves too which kind of help a little bit throughout the day. Yeah. What about um? What is it about these Under Armour gloves that don't work? Some some Under Armour gloves, by so the way, work great. Yeah. Some the, don't. These particular Under Armour gloves are um, football style gloves and the problem is um, between the top and the bottom of the fingers is spandex and it's there's no windproof to it at all. And the fact that they're so tight that they squeeze a lot of the blood out of your hands. So now the blood's being squeezed out of your hands, plus wind's getting into your hands. So they actually do more harm than good, I think. So I've stopped, kind of stopped using them. I've used a pair of Under Armour uh, wide receiver gloves. So Under Armour wide receiver gloves are amongst a really good option. But the thing I had to look for is I made sure the top side of my hand was really protected. It wasn't a lot of thin neoprene or a lot of thin... uh, a spandex that was actually a little bit more of a shell to the outside of it. Where Ben just handed these to me, and you look at the top sides of them, and they're super vented, which a yep, lot of really wide vented. receiver gloves are. So your look cool. winter weight <laughs> wide receiver gloves are going to be a lot more helpful because they have that thicker top to the hand. Correct. The other thing to consider when you're wearing gloves too, though, is um, uh, we've actually seen um, we've actually seen people get their hands caught in lines when they have line twists, and they're reaching up to try and clear them. Next thing you know, they got a, a glove stuck in between all these lines, and it can create some serious problems, so keep that in mind, too. They definitely create an issue. Uh, make sure that they're protecting you and they're warm, but the thing that's nice about wide receiver gloves, I wear Newman's. Uh, the Newman's I wear are traditional skydiving Newman's, and if you actually look at horse riding, uh, they're very marketed. Th- this version of Newman's we've gotten from horse uh, horseback riding, they're a nice leather palm, 
But with all these gloves that we're mentioning, the mechanics gloves are great because you have good tactile feel. You can feel handles. You can feel nuts, bolts, screwdrivers mm-hmm. with those. I don't uh, want to know about you feeling nuts with your gloves, You know, bro. you want to be able to, with football gloves, to be able to feel the seams and the threads of the. So these gloves all have really good feeling to them. Uh, you want to be able to feel your handles and the differences between things, but then tackified. A lot of people promote against tackified, but a lot of us do. Man, man, the hacky slips out of my hand. So a little note on that, like we talked about layering. And one of the things I am personally against for my own personal taste, there's yeah, plenty yeah. of people who do it. I don't layer my gloves. Like some people like the latex trick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like that because that's going to induce me to probably want to wear a larger pair of gloves. And again, Ben's already talking about getting your line, your fingers mm-hmm. caught in lines and stuff like that. Um, I know this happened to a fellow instructor just recently, like wearing gloves, doing a harness hold with a student and, well, there goes your gloves. And that's now something that yeah. could be a potential just pain in the butt for somebody else or something now new them like, what am I feeling over here? Now I'm short one glove. I have a numb hand from the cold weather, et cetera. Yeah. So layering gloves, I'm definitely careful of. So a buy good tight latex gloves that will fit. Actually, buy the right size so they're not baggy. So tight. A mm. you can put the nice latex. firm or or or, t- or a snug glove on your hand. But B if they're baggy on your hand, when you put your normal glove on top of it, it's going to fold that latex over. It's going to tear that latex the chance of that glove actually breaking open and not being useful is a lot higher. If that glove is snug and fit to your hand, you can more comfortably fit a snug glove, and you're less likely to wear and tear and break them. And, and I'm cheap, so I'll use the same pair of latex gloves all day long. I'll take them off my hand. They turn inside out. I just put them on inside out, and the next time I take them off, they just keep using them till they tear. I'm Asian. We're fucking cheap. I'm, I get it, man. But don't That's use racist. other latex items until they tear. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got to use Nothing. latex before they tear. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Okay. Earlier we said latex, and he just got all up in Griffin Kenny's face. Whoa. <laughs> no, you said wrap it, and I said, yes, Griffin Kenny, you should. Wrap it. Wrap it. Man, did you notice uh, I changed your picture for this ad? Yes, I did. I thought that was hilarious because the funny thing was, like, that was a, an awesome free fly jump I got to go do with uh, Griffin and Ashley. I'm like, well, there's my hand. And then Ashley made the comment, and I was like, a couple hours later, I got a notification. No, oh, you got tagged in something else from Gravity Lab. I'm like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, so, uh, what are we talking about? So, uh, for all the uh, for all the guests, I put a little promo photo collage together of different pictures. And have you ever noticed on Facebook there are several pictures of Dave that looks like Griffin, especially him with old long hair? Oh, 2014, dude. I had long hair, not as many tattoos. <laughs> yeah. So you got that basic white boy look, man. I mean, all you white people man, look you alike. you are a basic white boy. Oh, I'm a basic white boy, can but... Can you grow a beard? I'm just checking. I can grow hair. <laughs> That's said not beard. Beard, yeah. Mm. Don't rub in the balding thing. That's no, not dude, it's already hitting me. I've got the receding hairline. Why do you think I started buzzing my Jesus stuff? gives us our haircuts. Hmm. When I was in Peru, the women called me Jesus, but it had nothing to do with anything beautiful, just the beard I had. Oh, God. <laughs> they so, didn't say that, sadly. Oh, God. Oh God. So when it, winter clothes, uh, one thing definitely smart to think about, I want to go back to Peru. There is an interesting conversation I want to know about. Oh, we can uh, have that. <laughs> winter skydiving, another thing to think about is bring a change of shoes, bring a change of socks. Because we know in skydiving, our feet can get wet. Now imagine skydiving with wet shoes and wet socks in really fucking cold weather. Mm-hmm. It becomes even more important to bring these changes. Um, in the winter, I actually commonly wear waterproof shoes because waterproof shoes are also technically or commonly what? Warmer. Mm-hmm. And it works great, so my feet never really get wet. 
I'm in Houston in our rice field. Actually, Dallas, y'all get pretty wet up here too, don't you? Yeah, it's all that clay topsoil. Yeah, I was going to say, it's uh, especially tough for a new tandem instructor when they land on their butt in the water. Why do yep. you... What's, what's going on there, David? Uh, well, yeah. So was uh, short about 10 meters of where I wanted to land. And I have... We're in America. Speak feet. Multiple oh. times. <laughs> multiple times short. <laughs> so you're Stop 30, calling me short. 32-ish <laughs> feet away. Yeah, 30-ish feet away, 32-ish feet away. So, yeah. And I happen around our landing area. The Peas is the driest spot. But on the south side of the Peas, we almost have a unintentional swoop pond. And it's a bit of a swamp, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's swampy. And uh, yeah, it was muddy. And I was like, oh, well, that kind of looks like a dry area. Literal splashdown. <laughs> if you're not going to be accurate, then you're going to be wet. Yes, it, that's exactly true. Here. I'm going to guess it was rig 441 because that's the rig that we've been using today, Ben. The that's one all that's muddy. covered in mud? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. Uh, I, trust me, I, I, I'm not going to deny that I totally did not make my piece. I am not the only person that's gotten money the last week. No, and in fact, we got a really <laughs> great video of uh, of RD, uh, aka t- uh, Mini Bill Booth, who uh, came in and just had a great splash in with oh, the yeah, student. It's, yeah, it is. Uh, the best part for a student is she got to leave and like immediately go change, and he had another <laughs> eight hours of jumping ahead of him, and he had wet crotch. So good for him. Yeah, wet swampy, <laughs> swamp balls, wrinkle dick. So Peru, dude, you went to Peru. Yes, uh, back in 2014. What did you go to Peru for? So I went there to uh, take part in some local, how do I say this, local traditional experiences. Ayahuasca. Drops. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, local traditional experiences with a group of natives known as uh, the tribe was the Shipibo. And, uh, yeah, they do ayahuasca retreats. And for me, I was, uh, so 2014 was kind of, let me give you a little backstory. 2014 was kind of a weird year for me. I, um, I was having a hard time personally with certain things in my life. I was finishing up school. I was dealing with, um, some personal issues that were happening. And I was also a full-time videographer for a two-way free fly team that was training to go to nationals that year. And I was also, tr- as on top of that, trying to pursue my career as a free fly organizer. So had a lot on my plate, was trying to balance everything out. And then a month and a half into our team training before nationals, I blew a hernia out. So, Oof. oh yeah, awesome oh. times. Damn. So <laughs> <laughs> had surgery literally four days after I blew it out. Uh, conversation with my teammates, so I missed two training weekends and then was back in the sky not comfortably, but back in the sky. And I decided, okay, like, I'm not really sure. I'm not satisfied with school. I'm not satisfied with my personal life. One of the few things I have going on right now that makes me feel really good and invigorated is the skydiving thing. I kind of needed, like, a reset. And a good friend of mine had gone to Peru previously a couple years ago. He was dealing with uh, some post-traumatic stress, and he told me about his experience. And he's like, you know, might be... I've had a lot of good friends that have, you know, suggested some really interesting things like skydiving and ayahuasca. Um, so we went back, uh, had a conversation about it. I did a lot of research on it, and then I pulled the trigger on it and decided, okay, I'm going to go to Peru. So went down, spent two weeks, a little over two weeks in the jungle, which, holy shit, dude, spending two weeks in the jungle, that's scary. 
I bet. I, I'm not a fan of uh, anything with more than four legs, and most everything down there in the jungle either wants to eat you, bite you, or suck your blood. <laughs> a and, woman. Uh, well, <laughs> those two, but they have two legs. So, um, And here's the crazy thing. So if you're going to partake in a local ceremony like that, you need to be very cognizant of your own biology and what certain medicines and medications and preventive measures can have an effect on you. So, i.e. malaria meds, stuff like that. So, I didn't, it's not recommended, it's not not recommended, but I chose to take all the possible bad parts out of the equation and remove by not taking more malaria meds, not doing any of that. Uh, Don't recommend that considering the malaria still kills more people on the planet than most anything else. But, so I'm super paranoid I'm super uncomfortable. I'm in a jungle. I'm literally living in a or staying in a four-walled area that just has screens. So you that feeling of exposure is intense. And over the course of a couple of weeks, I got the opportunity to take part in several ceremonies with the head shaman of this little group of Shipibo. And it was just a really great experience for me. It let me open myself up to a lot of things I need to improve in my life. So... So ayahuasca, I, I said that earlier, yeah. not being certain. No, it, it was ayahuasca. And uh, for those of you guys who don't know what ayahuasca is, ayahuasca is a potent substance. They call it the mud. There's the saying, trust the mud, because it's a, it's a compound that you drink. And the active ingredients in it are dimethyltryptamine, DMT, as well as the part of the ayahuasca vine. Everyone thinks that ayahuasca is just dimethyltryptamine and it has this huge you know psychedelic effect on you that's actually not what happens the ayahuasca vine stops and i'm sure there's somebody that's a chemistry major that will correct this but it basically breaks down the blood brain barrier so it allows your gut to actually take in this concoction of dmt as well as ayahuasca and over the course of about eight hours you are in a state of discomfort it's it's not fun like you're physically ill you generally will have and some people don't you'll have hallucinations you will have completely personal empathetic introspective periods of time and it's just it's like psychotherapy boot camp (laughs) it's the best way i can explain it because you deal with any skeletons that you might have suppressed from your life you deal with all the stuff in your closet and it is something that allows you to clear things out. Um, Somebody who, uh, I think it was actually Joe Rogan, he used the analogy one time with uh, certain stuff, but it works with ayahuasca. You have a desktop computer, right? You have pictures, you have folders, you have a cluttered desktop monitor. If you go through this process of clearing yourself up and going and dealing with these experiences and pro you know, just prolonging and having the courage to deal with it. At the end of the series of ceremonies, you're left with one folder on that desktop. Everything else has been cleared away, and that one folder says, my old bullshit. Now, you can click on that folder, and everything goes right back to the way it is. You can basically start doing the same stuff that you used to do and have your old bullshit. Or you can deal with the clean slate, identify where you can improve, and actually improve. And it's not some overall fix-all for everybody, but 
I had the opportunity to have that experience with several other people who I'm still in touch with. You met them there or met them before? I, I met them there and because they usually will take you in groups down because it's not like that. You can do it individually or you can do it in like a group setting. A lot of people opt to do it in a group setting because it allows them to not feel so isolated. Mm-hmm. And two of the people I was with were teachers. Well, actually about five of the people I was with were teachers, three of them being college professors and two of them being grade school teachers. Um, and they were just they were dealing with their own little life battles. One of uh, one person was a nurse. Uh, she had been dealing with different elements of what her life had given her up until that point of existence, dealing with the trauma and stress that comes with being a full-time nurse in ER. Like most people think, okay, you're a nurse, you deal with things, you help people. You also deal with all of the obscenity and disgust that humans can do upon each other. So that's a traumatic thing. You know, um, I was having a lot of issues dealing with the fact that when my father passed away, I didn't give myself time to grieve. I literally just because of life, because of my mentality, I would push on and just compartmentalize it. And it was destroying me. There was a good chunk of my life where I was like, I started base jumping to deal with demons. I started doing a lot of things to deal with those things. And through my experiences with ceremony, it allowed me to identify with it be honest with myself about it and gave me the tools to work through it on a personal basis. So I've heard a lot of very interesting stories and I don't know if, if I ever have the balls to go to a ayahuasca ceremony because of a lot of things I've heard and what you explain is very, uh, uh, has a lot of continuity with versions I've heard. And, and some of them I've heard through similar resources, Rogan and, and some of his cronies, but I've had a few friends who've gone out and done mm-hmm. these, these ceremonies in various places have you uh, ever tried uh, DMT, dimethyltryptamine? I actually I have. I've done that twice in my life. How can um, you compare the experiences? So um, both times I, all of these experiences happened while I was in South America because, I mean, different state of law is completely legal in those places. Sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I did dimethyltryptamine right after uh, I got back, well, actually, right after I got back into the city I was staying in because a friend of mine was there. And he was actually a full-time nurse. And he's like, hey, you've done this. He actually had all, he's had over 100 ayahuasca exper- or ceremonies under his belt. So he's very well versed in the way that the, the mud or the medicine can help you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I think this would be that little cherry on top of the proverbial cupcake for you. So you should try it. Um, completely up to you, but I was, I was very comfortable with myself, so I decided to try it. The way I can compare them, because dimethyltryptamine is the psychoactive ingredient of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is the minivan driving you to school slowly and allowing you to come to that place where you can be exposed to the knowledge. Mm-hmm. DMT is a rocket ship, and you don't have a choice once you make that decision. <laughs> it is okay. You just strapped your ass to the tip of a Tesla rocket, and you are and going you're to the moon. through this tunnel of um, light. There is a yeah. the only way I can like I. This sounds terrifying. I'm sure to people who don't have this uh, little benchmark, but with ayahuasca, it was a very gentle hug, and the the Shipibo consider ayahuasca to be a mother. She's the mother of humanity in a lot of ways. I felt like, you know, there was a couple times when mom decided to slap me around and get me straight. But most of the time, mom was giving me a hug. DMT, it's just cool. 
you're going. That's how it did. That's how it is. I don't care about you. You're you signed up for this ride, and here's what you have. <laughs> so, so one of the things that I'm curious about is DMT. I, I've done DMT. When and where is a whole another conversation. And and what I hear about ayahuasca is the sick, the the, the negative experiences. Where with DMT, you jump on a rocket ship, you go away, you're gone for 20 minutes plus or minus 10 minutes for a real deep part of, it, and then you start coming back in and out. You can start coming back around, or you can choose to be present the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are hearing about this and considering it, you you it, this rocket ship, and you don't have a choice. I don't 100% agree with, because DMT take a couple nice big hits lay down, close your eyes, and what you just said is true. Bye-bye, you're mm-hmm. going on a ride. Sit there, keep your eyes open, and try to stay in contact with what's around you, and you will. It's actually, every time you close your eyes, you're like, what the fuck? What's going on? But it's, 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 you have some control and choice there, but back to when you close your eyes, rocket ship. Yeah, and I, I basically, when I was very comfortable, so I definitely, I didn't have my eyes open. I literally, my buddy was, uh, he was, he was with me the whole time. He's like, I've never heard you laugh so happily in my life, man. Like I, I went through the experience. I laid back and I spent 20 minutes laughing and I was, this sounds crazy to a lot of people, I'm sure, but I was back at our source. You know, if, yeah, if we have a birthplace as far as where we come from, I'm not talking about humanity. I'm not talking about son, daughter, anything like that. If we have a birthplace in the cosmic existence of the, of the universe, I was at the source. I was home. There was no love. There was no hatred. There was no pain. There was no regret. There was none of that. There was just, you're here, you're home. And this is what is. And come back to this. And it's great because you're like, Wow, I'm uh, I'm here. I'm present. I I have the opportunity to feel emotion. I have the opportunity to make choice. I have the opportunity to feel existence in this moral way where I am temporarily here. So that it's almost like you met or seen something that you just and and the whole time afterwards, I'm trying to find where that went. I'm trying to remember what just happened. And the yeah. longer removed I am from it, the further away it goes. Mm-hmm. But I never had any of the negative body experiences, the fighting, being sick, anything else. It's just that rocket ship ride with yeah. DMT. Ayahuasca has that negative effect. So it's, it's less intense with a rocket ship, the motherly hug. So I wouldn't even call it a negative effect. It's, it's kind of like going down, like it's going down a trail. Like to be a skydiver, to be a good skydiver, you're an examiner. You know, you have to go through certain benchmarks. You have to experience certain things. I, I equate ayahuasca to being that. It is it allows you to take it slowly. And what I found out was I wasn't experiencing anything in any of my ceremonies because I did multiple ceremonies over the course of a couple of weeks. I didn't experience anything in any of my ceremonies that I wasn't prepared for. She like you know, she preferably didn't give me anything that I wasn't okay with dealing with. There were things at the end of it I was like whoa, that was, uh, that was intense. I wasn't, you know, like I wasn't expecting that. And then that in itself is the lesson because expectations during certain things can get you into trouble. So I know, I know this conversation and this kind of talk probably drives some people nuts. Some people probably think we're crazy and they're bored with it, but I like where you just said, ultimately, this is where it comes from. Don't go in with expectations. Go in with an open mind and an open heart. And, and at this point, we're not talking about ayahuasca, DMT, or anything. No, life. Yeah. Just life, man. Like, our, if anyone had set a, a, 
like, okay, cool. Here's your outline for life. You know, just like being in school, you got an outline for your essay, you got an outline for your research paper, et cetera. Here's your outline for life. Some people can live that outline to the T. Some people can. I didn't have an outline for my life. I was open to new things. I have raced motorcycles on the amateur level in the southeastern series of what used to be called CCS and Wira. Um, I have been exposed to skydiving. I have gotten to tunnel fly. I have gotten to, you know, take part in shooting competitions. I've gotten to take part in a lot of things that if somebody said, here's what you're going to get to do, I'd be like, mm, yeah, no, that ain't going to happen. I'm going to do the, the classic thing. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to have a nine to five. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to have, you know, $75,000 a year paycheck and all that. We can all have those things. But at the same time, if you are not open to things, you don't know what you're denying yourself possibly. You know, there are things in my life where I go, wow, that, that would have been nicer not to have experienced at times. But at the same time, if I went back and changed that, would I be who I am, where I am right now with the collective knowledge that is me? And that is the expectations and that is the lesson. And it's something that I constantly battle with every day to remind myself, dude, wake up, do what you do, do the best you can and just do that. If you do that, then what you get back is true and it's honest. If I go, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, that's great. You know what you're going to do if you don't meet those goals? You're going to feel like shit. And then you're probably going to down yourself. And that doesn't help anybody. So, again, different life philosophies for different people. But expectations are something that can be as antagonistic to you on a personal level as they can be beneficial to certain people. I'm not saying don't have expectations. Like, you set a goal for yourself. Do everything you can to do it. But don't let that destroy you if you don't meet that and enjoy the ride you take while getting to that. So, sorry to be long-winded on that, but that's, you know, what I, like, the validation or explanation that I feel that when you go, oh, well, don't have expectations. Well, that just kind of means sound like a loser. No, it doesn't. No. It means don't limit yourself. That's what it means. It's uh, AA, no apologies for the long... Uh, answer this uh, this is what we do man it, it's oh yeah a conversation that's... for sure i uh, i invited you on the show and we haven't even gotten to the reason why but one of the reasons why is is our time and our engagement together you're you're, you're well spoken verbose which some people would say that means we talk a lot yeah uh, that's a very <laughs> polite way to say you talk a lot dj uh but you do say a lot of good words in that and, and i think there is really a, a valuable life lesson you know it might be the way you believe it might not be the way you believe if you're listening to this but the thing I would challenge you to do is every time you've had an expectation, in hindsight, has it come to fruition? Almost always, the answer is no. Yeah. Almost always, the result is different than the expectation. We have to have certain expectations or some expectations, and I think you, you, you phrased it or put into the ideas of we have to have goals, we have to have ideas, we have to have dreams. So some expectations are going to be there, but be open to it being completely wrong and being completely different. And wrong and different doesn't mean better or worse. It means different. And, and you will get so much more out of the situation because if my expectations are 100% accurate, I'm still going to miss something. If I go in open-minded, open-hearted, with no clear expectations, with no, like, this is the way it's going to be, I might get something completely different out of it and what I intended. Yeah. 
So don't set those expectations. Expectations, in other words, don't limit. And I think you use that word as well. Don't limit yourself. Don't yeah. limit where you're going. I am sitting here right now with you guys because I did a tandem. I'm afraid of heights. I'm a control freak. I don't like being in a plane unless I'm the pilot in command. So, <laughs> you know, I I remember and a little shout out to my old TI Troy Drogemeyer, who you know he was a freaking awesome guy for me. I was sitting by the door of the King Air, which is now actually in the Houston hangar, that King Air that you guys got yeah, from. Yeah, I know that plane. Yeah, I did my first 50 skydives out of that. And I was sitting by the door on one of the bench seats, Troy behind me, and we had one AFF student on there, and he was doing their hop and pop. They opened that door at five grand to do his 5,000-foot hop and pop, and Troy had to calm me down because I just started backing up into him. I was like, I was trying to get as far away from that door as possible. And I leaned back to Troy and I said, dude, I don't know if I can get out of this plane. And he goes, well, you know, like, I, you know, I want you to skydive. I, you came out here to skydive. We want to make sure that you can skydive. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm telling you, I have to get out of this plane. I am so scared right now. I have never been this scared in my life. But if I don't get out of this plane and I ride this plane down, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. And that was my expectation. And I learned after that, like, cool, I had tunnel vision. So I limited myself on that experience to the joy of the freedom that I had being a willing participant, being a front passenger on a tandem to go, I'm getting out of a plane. <laughs> I'm, I'm going skydiving today. I had the expectation, I'm going to jump out of a sky. I'm going to jump out of an airplane today. So I, you know what I did? I did another tandem with a lot less fear and a much more open mind. And that tandem, my second tandem, was even more fulfilling to me. But had I not... Had I not set myself up to the point of like I made a goal, but I also made an expectation. The goal was to go skydiving. My expectation was I had to do it that day with that person. And I was terrified until I got into free fall. And it was amazing because Troy's a good <laughs> Troy's a great instructor. He gave me a great skydive. But my second skydive was more fun because I didn't have expectations. The expectations were gone. I had the goal to now learn how to do what I need to do to enter the AFF program, become a licensed skydiver. And my spectrum of awareness and desire had been broadened because that lack of just narrow-minded vision of I have to do this and this and this and that's it. And that's what expectations can do versus a goal. They will lim- they can limit your spectrum of vision to certain things or then so limiting your expect excuse me, limiting your experiences of what you're doing. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I hadn't come to that understanding in life. I think placing it in the new jumper value in, in this in this context, and it's Gravity Lab Radio. You know, we we cater to mostly fun jumpers and skydivers, but we have some wefo non jumpers who listen. It, it's a perfect context because a lot of our jumpers are highly experienced, and all, excuse me, our listeners, and, and some aren't. And that lack of expectations um, as a brand new person, if you're thinking about making a skydive. It's not what you think it is. It really isn't, man. No. As a brand new jumper who's going through a student program, it's not what you think it is. As somebody who just got your license, you're wrong too. And I don't mean any of that rudely. I mean that what you think is happening, what you think you're going to feel, what you expect to happen is commonly wrong. 
a lot of times when we teach new students things, and you're an AFF instructor, and one day maybe Ben will be an AFF instructor, maybe Ben will be an <laughs> AFF instructor. Maybe Never had ben the desire, sorry. I thought you actually <laughs> thought about it at some point. I thought you were considering it. Well, just because everybody's like, oh, you're the manager of the drop zone. you got to have an AFF rating. I don't, I've never had the desire to be an FF instructor. No, never mind then. I'm good with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> doesn't I, mean I'm not going to do it. I just, I've never had the desire to do it. If you don't want to do it, you shouldn't do it. I hate talking to people in the ratings. It's not worth no, it. No, no. I get what you're saying. I'm not saying I won't do it. I've just, Time and maybe place someday right. I will. Yeah. I um, uh, uh, you're wrong, and I don't mean you're wrong in a bad way, but you've never experienced these things yet. And you and I doing AFF and working with students, the thing we commonly see is a student land and go, I sucked at that skydive. Why do you think you sucked at skydive? I did this wrong and did this wrong and this wrong. Actually, you did all those things pretty good because you have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, you've had that basic conversation, right? I've had, I had that basic conversation uh, less than a week ago with one of my students because they were being so harsh on themselves. I'm like, let's look at what you did right. Like, you did absolutely everything we wanted you to do on that. You did absolutely everything you needed to do on that. Can we fine-tune this because you have all of five skydives? Yes. Dude, I have 1,800 fucking skydives, and I'm still fine-tuning shit. And I'm going to be doing that until the day I'm not skydiving anymore because that is the nature of the beast. That's why we do it because it's a never-ending pursuit of becoming better. And you know what happens when you become better at something? Guess what? Something else comes along. And you're like, ah, oh, shit. Now I gotta do this. The better I become, <laughs> the worse I realize I am. Right? Yeah. And skydiving, I love it because it's super, super, super easy to learn. It's super, super, super impossible to master. Yeah. So it's years of fun forever and ever and ever, man. It's like porn in the Brent prop. You can just show that to everybody. <laughs> All of them. All everyone. Of them. <laughs> Dude, oh my god, I love that story. We're in the bartenders. Um, <laughs> so definitely put those expectations aside and don't worry worry about them. And find out what's really going on. Learn those things. One of the things you mentioned through that story is a buddy of yours or a guy, uh, what was his name? We took you on tandem, Troy? Troy Drogemeyer. Troy. And he did a great job. His last name has Drog in it. Come yeah. on, he's got to be a tandem instructor. Oh, absolutely. Be. You recently <laughs> got to take a friend of yours on a tandem skydive. Sean. Yeah, I got to take Sean Cummings, a great guy I know from... Cummings, uh, come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're killing me. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, he's got the beard and everything. So, yeah. And the uh, iPad. Yeah. And the iPad. Oh, he definitely has the iPad. The bent prop. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to take my buddy Sean Cummings from, uh, who is the outreach coordinator from 22 Kill. Um, I'm not going to, if I may, I'm not going to speak on behalf of 22 Kill. I have volunteered with them um, just strictly as a volunteer because they are a nonprofit. But if you guys are ever curious as to what 22 Kill is, it has a kind of an intimidating name. Yep. Uh, it's a nonprofit for veterans and first responders, and they deal with outreach for people that are dealing with PTS, uh, as well as things like just any anything that has to do with veterans affairs. Most people that are, you, you are the son of a veteran. I'm the son of a veteran. Ben is a veteran. veteran. Ben is a veteran. So most True of us story. have <laughs> some experience, firsthand or secondhand, with the bureaucracy that is like mm-hmm. Veterans Affairs and stuff of that matter. And they are an organization that does everything in their power to bring what's needed on an individual basis to those in need. Um, Who's they that you just 22 said? Kill. Okay. So check out 22kill.com. <laughs> you were saying the VA. I'm no, actually uh, going to be posting uh, 22kill.com on the comments. 
here in just a second. Thank you very much. And I'm sure Sean, Sean Cummings, um, will be very happy about that. And yeah, everybody who's interested, check them out. They're a Dallas based nonprofit. Go ahead, Ben. Were you about to say something? No, I was just saying I was about to post that on the uh, comments page. What I was going to say is I am having problems posting as me. So it's going to look like Skydive Spaceline Clueston is posting this, but it's actually <laughs> me. In I, can't, I can't change it. I don't In know. Spirit. I can't figure out how to change it. So it's thank you, Skydive Spaceline Clueston, for helping out tonight. I'm, I'm multiple personalities on yeah. Facebook as well. And I've actually learned how to not be LMB or not be Gravity. I'm, I'm trying. Be. I can't figure yeah. it. For some reason, it won't work tonight. And it's not tonight. You've had this problem. I've, you've had this problem a few times. I've no, no, not really. I'm usually pretty good at it. <laughs> every button I can possibly hit and I can't figure it out. Dude, Anyways, I just posted it. Go check it out. It's pretty cool. I uh, posted it to their mission and history page on their website, 22kill.com. Yep. Jacob Schick, they, uh, their CEO, former, or excuse me, Marine, not former, I'll get my ass kicked for that. Um, once a Marine, always a Marine. Oh, once a Marine, always a Marine. And um, yeah, uh, just awesome dude and doing his part to help out. So is I believe and help me out, man, because I need to do some homework here. I believe Twenty Two Kill is an organization that was founded on the idea of doing twenty two push ups to help raise awareness, doing it on yep. social media, and the twenty two push ups were founded off the fact that twenty two veterans a day commit suicide. Yeah. So the statistic right now, and luckily uh, the data is showing apparently or showing that that number is coming down slowly. Good. But twenty two veterans a day kill themselves. Now, that's 22 veterans a day that are military veterans. 22 kill takes a step further because they point out that that does not include law enforcement. That does not include first responders, as in paramedics and firefighters. Um, That number is grossly higher, but there is not an apparatus right now that is collecting that data and if we did, we would probably find a national epidemic happening. And people commonly think this is silly. And, and, you know, just a little background for you and I, for people who don't know us. My father was a Marine for 28 years. My father came and went several times. Uh, he was drafted during the Vietnam War. He's, he's gone through several different conflicts. We didn't know he would be there or wouldn't be there. I worked in the Marine Corps mess hall for four years. I worked on the military uh, uh, based on several different jobs. It's, it's been my life and my background up through skydiving. And mm. even today, we work with a lot of military friends. And, and you are the same thing. You're a military brat. Yeah, so my dad, my dad was, he wasn't career. He was in the Army. He was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, then he got into federal law enforcement. My grandfather was a career naval aviator, officer, Annapolis grad, the he whole nine. belly buttons. Yeah. And um, just ironically, I think my dad was very comfortable in that environment. So we always tended to live around military bases. Like when we lived in California, Southern California, right by um, the Naval Air Station. North we, Island? Yep. We lived over Worked by... There. <laughs> small world. Yeah, yeah. We lived out um, in San Diego. Then we also lived in... Um, Georgia, right outside of Hunter Army Airfield. My two, I have three best friends in the world, and I'll go figure, all of them are skydivers. One is an Air Force pilot, one is a Marine Corps aviator, and the other one is a first responder based out of Florida. And just by chance, I'm the only civilian out of my little circle of friends, and it, you know, it's one of those things, like, there's a mentality that comes with it. You have a certain attitude, and I've always been around that community, and as a civilian, I may not serve and wear a uniform, but I still do everything I can to do my part because 
those guys, like uh, my buddy who's first responder out of Florida, he shows up on shift and he doesn't know what he's going to get. It might be he might get the chance to go put out a fire. He might have to go deal with a death of an infant because of less than, you know, domestic abuse or anything like that. Then my two friends, my Air Force buddy has been deployed numerous times over to Afghanistan. Uh, My best friend Kyle, shout out to Kyle. Um, He has not been deployed yet. He's currently getting certified on a particular aircraft, but the operational tempo of that aircraft will have him being deployed half the year. So this is something that most people don't take into consideration. And you, you know, it's, it's just part of the gig. A lot of people will mock PTS, and really, I, I keep forgetting, and you've actually, with, with, I don't think you realize that, but you reminded me more than once. Uh, ben, have you noticed that we say it differently sometimes, PTS? Say what differently? Do you notice what I'm talking about? Yes. What am I saying? You're dropping the D. So I commonly and historically have always said PTSD because historically that's what we've called it, mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder or disease and a lot of people in today's society is, are, are going to tell you it's not a disorder. It is a symptom. It is a syndrome. It yeah. is a problem. So PTS is really a more appropriate title for it nowadays. Um, quite frankly, I think we're saying potato, potato with the word disease, uh, d- deficit, whatever. But I get why we want to drop that word because people don't take it serious enough. And for those of you who think PTSD is kind of a joke, I want you to think about your life. And I'll, and I'll, I'll think about my life for one moment. And we've all seen an accident. We've all seen something bad happen. Whether you're skydiving, you saw somebody turn low and smack the ground. Whether you saw somebody get in a car accident next to you. Whether you've seen somebody with a bloody cut. We've all seen something extremely traumatic. And it didn't really affect us tons. But at some point in your life, you had a flashback where you saw that instance, that moment, and it gave you the heebie-jeebies, the curls, the crawls. We've all been there. For me, here's one that really is hard because... I think about these gentlemen have gone to war, and I don't mean the military only. I mean your law enforcement folks. I mean your firefighters. They're going to war, not necessarily with people, but with with fires, with structures, and people are dying. And they may have killed somebody by their false or wrong actions, and they didn't mean to. They did the best thing they could. No matter what they did, somebody could have died. Or they pulled the trigger of a weapon, and they killed a man because they had no choice. And man, I haven't killed many things. I've, we, Nick, Nick Law and I talked last week about going hunting. And th- there's a story I've never really shared, and I don't share it because I'm going to break my wife's heart. Valerie, I love you to death, and if you hear this, I'm so sorry you've learned this just now. I killed three, four baby birds recently. I say recently. It's in the last couple years. Well, I'm going to go light the grill. I light the grill. Light it, turn it on fire, go back inside, let the grill heat up. Walk back outside, smell something funny, figure something out, open up the grill, there are baby birds in there that are on their last dying. I just fucking cooked them in a barbecue grill. It's, it, it, to me, there's a little bit of fun to it. It's not, not that wasn't fun, <laughs> but it, it's kind of like, holy shit, I just cooked some birds. It was, it was like, there's a little funny to that. But said and done, man, it broke my fucking heart. I, I love animals, love animals to death, especially things that fly, dude. Things that fly are the fucking most majestic things in the world. I love birds. And I killed these animals, and it really bothered me. It bothered me for so long. I didn't. I, I haven't talked about it with anybody. And then I, every now and then, like I'll go to light the grill, and I'm really paranoid about lighting the grill now. I'm very paranoid. I opened it up. I had opened it that day, but where they were nesting and where they were hidden, and when the way the light was, I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, my behaviors changed, and I have had flashbacks of that. Nothing that's put me in a bad place. I'm very healthy. I'm very okay. But these things have bothered me. Yeah. Man, I killed a 
man, is what some of these people are going to say. I was fighting a fire, and I missed this room, and somebody died. That's fucking stress. Yeah. That is a that that is a disorder, not necessarily in in, in a bad. You're fucked up. Way oh my god! But like as far as your brain now has some issues, you're emotionally disconnected or, or excuse me rewired. So these people have legit issues, and you support this. I, you support it. You have volunteered for twenty two kill. Yeah, I like I try to donate time when I can to help out with events and awareness and stuff like that. Because, uh, so. Outside of skydiving, I've had aspirations, and it will be something I end up pursuing in my spare time to get into emergency medical science and trauma medicine. It's it's a weird. I'm I've got a weird click in my head. I I in, have a weird enjoyment and passion for learning how to fix bad things. Okay, and the only way I can like kind of qualify that is, you know, we're skydivers, man. We we live our lives, and not to sound like a cliche here, or a tagline from a bad skydiving B movie, but we literally live our lives and we deal with shit like that. We, we we ran through EP reviews today. We have to figure things out in milliseconds because our lives depend on it, and not only our lives, our students' lives depend on it. There are most places in the country, unless you are a firefighter, unless you are part of a firefighting fire department and unionized, if you are a part-time or private paramedic, you will make less than $15 an hour. And there are people's lives who you have control over. Whether they see their parents, whether their parents see them, etc., that's on you. And I hear people talk about job stress, and I hear people talk about, oh, I didn't get this at work. I didn't get that. And I, I literally, I make, I make a joke. My love you, hon. My girlfriend gets kind of frustrated. I was like, hey, hon, how was your day? Oh, stressful. Did anyone die? Because guess what? For $15 an hour, as a paramedic, you're going to lose a patient. That will happen. That's not an if. That's a win. And it's going to be something that may be out of control. Maybe it's something that's in your control. But that's a major thing to deal with mentally. Imagine coming home making $15 an hour, the same thing that a lot of people make doing retail, and somebody died in your arms, and that you're just expected to be okay. Well, that's post-traumatic stress. Like, that's stress that you have to deal with. That's stress that you, as a human being, will now have to work through to continue to be the person that you were before that happened, and the person that you're going to be after that happened. If that doesn't register to you, if that's not an, something that you think about and you go, well, maybe I should uh, take some time to think about this. Well, then I'm going to say you're probably not very in touch with how powerful this thing is. The thing between our ears that has to coordinate with every other part of us. That's a big deal. It's huge. Yeah. And it's something that I think that everyone should have more awareness on. Post-traumatic stress isn't a disorder. It's not a disease. And yes, potato, potato. But It's a some, problem for sure. When somebody says that this is a disease, and it's like you're attributing something that is just part of something, and I'm not, not degrading it, no. but this is part of somebody's job that they have willingly signed up to do. And yes, should, should hey, they didn't have to do that job. Yeah. But maybe there's some reason that they do want to do that job. Maybe it's because they're drawn to it. And 
maybe as a society and as a group of free-thinking human beings that have the luxury of living in the type of lifestyle that the majority of Americans do and the majority of Western people do, maybe we should take the time to try to do our best to identify that and do what we can to help that out. And that's, you know, like when I talk to Sean, he's, he's one of the most gracious, kind, giving human beings I have ever met. He thanks me for coming out. I'm like, dude, I need to be thanking you. You're giving me an opportunity to give a little bit of my time to help out something that I fucking love and care about. Like, my dad had post-traumatic stress. He would wake up at night to a helicopter, and it was not a helicopter. It was the ceiling fan. He'd wake up screaming, and I'd come in the room like, you okay, dad? Covered in sweat. Yeah, I'm good. Sorry I woke you up, little man. Go back to bed. Like, he had some shit to deal with. He didn't share a lot of that with me, and I understand why. My grandfather was shot down over a Japanese-held island and on the run for 48 hours before he made to an allied, I believe it was a Marine Corps patrol on the island and was able to get reorientated with his squadron. He came home with uh, (laughs) a Japanese officer's handgun and sword. I never asked him how he got it because he wouldn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can only imagine the things that man had to do to come home to his family. So it doesn't matter if you're a first responder, if you're a cop, if you're an EMT, or you're somebody that's going to war. You got to deal with some shit that's not nice. And there's nothing wrong with having that have an effect on you. And the fact that we have this stigma in our society that makes us go, well, there's something wrong with you. No, there's not. It's called dealing with stress. Have you ever, like, anyone that's had a car accident, you're going to have post-traumatic stress. You'll get into that car, you'll put your hands on the steering wheel, and your hands might shake. It's because your brain is going, I remember that. I remember feeling like I was going to die. That's post-traumatic stress. So it's just, it's something I think we as a society have to start figuring out how to deal with better and having to be more accepting of because it is part of the human condition. I think one of the first steps is super important, and it is the raising awareness that this is a legit problem. Ben, you were, and I'm please, I'm going to try to remember this right this time. You were an EMT. I was a paramedic. God damn it, I always do it backwards. <laughs> I never, <laughs> never have gotten that right. I'm like, I'm always wrong. He so went to school for a lot longer. <laughs> I'm always wrong, so I think it's a paramedic. So he's an EMT. You're a paramedic. Did you deal with, like, is, have you had some... When you work full-time in, uh, in uh, emergency medical services, you know, I mean, man... Uh, military firefighters, uh, paramedics, uh, police officers. As a paramedic, I think I probably averaged five, six thousand patients a year. Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, you you get a dark sense of humor. I'll tell you, tell you that amongst each other, you have a dark sense of humor because that's how you deal with the things that you're seeing that uh, you probably most people would never see. But I think uh, for me, the balance was. Um, the difficult patients, the ones that didn't, that weren't good, were always balanced by the the ones that were amazing. You know, um, delivering a baby—it's not fun, but it's pretty amazing. I've <laughs> done it a few times. Um, yeah, you never you never get rid of it. I think for me, most of the most of the issues revolve around 
the time of year and the smells and the things like that. I'll be walking down the walking down the road and I'll catch a smell that will immediately bring me back to a particular point in time at a particular place with a particular patient. And uh, you, you, yeah, it never goes away. That stuff never goes away. And if you're listening to this and, and you are having these issues, know that there are people and there are organizations out there to help. And we're going to talk about a few of them. And, and if you're out there and you're not having these issues, realize a lot of your close friends are and you don't realize it. Realize that they're out there and, and you don't know what they've gone through. So maybe there is a reason that they're reacting this way. Um, sometimes what we perceive as crazy is them dealing with a lot of problems. You know, a lot of our friends uh, might have a legitimate issue and we're just like, oh, they're just fucking crazy. Um, no, they've seen some dark shit, bro. They've been through some bad times. And so be patient with these people. And, and Spaceland, you actually are the manager here at Spaceland Dallas uh, with 22 Kill and Sean coming in. He actually came in as part of the Bird Eye Project. Bird yeah. Eye. Bird Eye View Project, yeah. Thank you. And what do you know about them? What, what have you dealt with? So, uh, so Bird's Eye View Project is pretty interesting. They, um, um, it's run by a guy named Ryan Parrott, who's uh, super awesome. He's a great guy. Does a lot of skydiving, does a lot of base jumping. Um, he's a former Navy SEAL. And basically, uh, the funds that they raise through the Bird's Eye, Bird's Eye View Project go to uh, various different organizations, most of which are uh, attuned to what we were discussing earlier, to... Um, we're trying to raise awareness and raise funds for different types of military, first responder, um, wounded warrior style projects. And um, as part of that, they uh, auction off uh, you know, jump packages and things like that. They brought a large group out of people that were big donors, and uh, we took them on skydives. In fact, we did this yesterday. We took about 30, uh, a little less than 30 people on tandems. We did it last year. It's called Bomb Squad. It's uh, really amazing. And... Um, it's a it's an awesome opportunity for them to come out and skydive, but it's also an awesome opportunity for them to raise money uh, to to donate to these different types of organizations. I'm assuming Twenty Two Kill is part of that. Yes, yeah, yeah. that was actually Sean was uh, basically the guy from Twenty Two Kill that was part of the Dallas Bomb Squad to yeah. come out and do that. Yeah, so these I mean they contribute to a lot of different organizations. So there's not like one organization that they contribute to, but uh, in organizing these events, they're the you know, obviously they're spending money to bring people out here and jump, but they've raised a lot of money for these different organizations. And 22 Kill, uh, this particular year, was one of the uh, uh, groups that was able to raise some money for their organization through Bird's Eye View Project and Ryan Parrott. If you if you don't mind, find um, Dave's Facebook page. Yep. And find uh, in the past couple, couple weeks, he's done a few sit-down video chats with Sean. Yep. And just find and share one of those in the comments. And guys, yeah, no gals... If you're on Facebook, check that out, and what you'll see is is the video, and it, it's a cool video of them sitting down and chatting, but the important part I want you to see it is there's some links there to 22 Kill, there's some uh, tags to different organizations, uh, Folds of Honor, I think was one of the ones. Yeah, um, Carry the Load as well, um, there's a, I'm, I'm, pardon me, I'm brain farting right now. It's all right. There is a firefighter charity for a, that was started for a fallen firefighter, on, well, on behalf of a fallen firefighter that benefits other families of firefighters who have fallen because, you know, unfortunately just the money is not there. We have, we have a lot of support, but you got to be able to get the word out for these guys. Um, all the links are in uh, those videos. I think there's like six different organizations and they all benefit first responders, veterans, veterans, families, um, everything from supporting veterans' families who have lost people 
people overseas and domestically uh, to post-traumatic stress therapies and stuff like that. A lot of these folks, when they pass away, uh, firefighters, paramedics, um, EMTs like Ben, uh, soldiers, <laughs> any of these things, a lot of these guys are gone, and the military, the government, the whoever, are going to do something to support that family. But those things truly are very minimal. And these families are going to live very frugal lives, and the mothers are going to work hard and, and maybe get remarried, or husbands maybe get remarried. These children are going to live with a mom who's, who's trying to support them. And how do they go to school? And all these different things are going on. And a lot of these different places are a supporting these these folks with uh, PTS with that post traumatic stress, but they're also supporting the family of fallen ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Law, actually, uh, my normal co-host, is much better co-host than tonight. Tonight's though is sexy. Are you talking about me? Yeah, talking <laughs> about you. Bro. We Nick, all know Nick Lott's way sexier than me. You know he's sexy. Let's and be he honest. It's all that CrossFit he does in the morning. No, uh, well, it's that tire he just flipped four hundred and some odd times. You know? Did you see what he just did? The dumbass. <laughs> no, I remember seeing him in Houston every time I'd get there before class and he's out there working his butt off. I'm just like, damn, getting after it, son. Yeah, Nick shows up first thing in the morning, he works out. And one of the things he would do is he would flip a tire. And a buddy of ours, Rob's like, hey, bro, do you think you can flip that tire up and down the runway? How many times would it happen? Ha, 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 let's do it. So Nick's like, yeah, let's do it. Does the math. Long story short, figure it out some other time. Nick realizes, A, I'm going to have to flip this tire by myself. So the guy's going to flake out on me. And B... Uh, this is, I, I did the math wrong. It's going to take way more to flip it down the runway than I thought. So he had to flip it 400 and some odd times. He just did it. Our, our boy Raul, uh, uh, Stephen Boyd, uh, Greg did some GoPro or some drone footage. They all help record these. And Nick's putting a video package together. Tried to get Goodyear on board. Uh, Goodyear, man, there were some really good interactions, some really good emails. But it was all just a little too last minute for it to fall together. And Nick wasn't willing to wait. This was something to get done. He wanted to do this for Veterans Day. So he did it this past Sunday. Getting after it. Um, and so he is raising money for the Simber Fi Fund. And, and for me, the son of a Marine, that for me is a very special fund. Anything that supports our Marines, man. The few, the proud, we're talking about their brain cells. The and for Marines. those of you out there, you know, Nick was, uh, uh, the reason he was selecting that particular organization is because his brother is, uh, is a Zach. Marine. Zach, yeah. yeah. Zach is a Marine, and, and Nick has a very, very strong tie to the Marine Corps for that. And, and so these these organiz- organizations, these charities exist. So check out what Nick's doing with Simber Fi Fund. Check out 22kill.com. Is it a .com or is it a .org? No, it's a .com, 22kill.com. Uh, look on your Facebook for hashtag 22kill. And I, rem- I remember when all these things came out on Facebook and people doing push-ups for this, um, it, it's kind of like the ice bucket challenge. It's kind of like all, a lot of these challenges. Some of these challenges are just stupid. Let me snort uh, 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 wasabi or fucking uh, swallow. What's that stuff called? Uh, cinnamon. But a lot of these challenges actually had just causes behind it. And we stopped paying attention to the causes and we started paying attention to the action. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at me. I'm doing 22 push-ups. Hey, look at me. I have ice bucket on me. No, what are these things about? So guys, gals, get on the internet. Get out there and look at it. What else would you share about these organizations and these causes? So what else I would share about this is, um, so one of the things, and again, I'm not speaking on behalf of 22Kill. I'm a volunteer, but what attracted me to it was listening. I was also, I was listening to a podcast and uh, the CEO was on that podcast. And Which he, one was it? Uh, it was uh, Jaco Willick. Okay. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, Jaco, former Navy SEAL, he always has a lot of guys on there that are very knowledgeable. He's a, got a leadership company for corporate America, and he just does I, – I have a lot of respect for his perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and what uh, Jake said on there, uh, CEO of 22Kill, he w- – well, I mean, not quoting here, paraphrasing. He was talking about how it's not just the people that go through it. You're mentioning families. So there's mm-hmm. a kid that's growing up without a mom or a dad. Or there's a kid that's at home with mom and dad, and one of those parents or both of those parents, because there's plenty of first responders and law enforcement families that are mutually employed in that industry or in that service, they're dealing with things. That kid's dealing with things. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with parents who have an above, an above average amount of stress in their life. He's dealing with mom or dad working 24-hour shifts because one's a paramedic and then one's a police officer working 10-hour shifts. You know, those things are, we talk about how they're so noble and they're so honorable, and they are. But let's look at also the impact that those things have. So one of the things I look at is also how does this organization support not just the person passing or the person who's going through a hard time, but the person's family and those other people that are around them? Because... I mentioned the little thing about my old man, you know, waking up, hearing somebody screaming in the middle of the night, like you listen to your parents scream, like not in a fight, but just like terrified. You don't Mm -hmm. think of your parents as a child ever being terrified. Those are the people who protect you from terrifying things. And to hear that is a alternating, alternating experience. It makes you go, wow, are there really things that go bump in the night that even my protectors can't protect me from? That's something that affects everyone. And one of the things that I have a lot of respect for, um, 22 Kill works with an organization called Stay the Course. They offer free counseling for families as well as for the people that are going through it for post-traumatic stress. And again, with that mission, trying to get that number of 22 down to zero. You know, when that day comes, it'll be a great day. But here's the fact no matter if that day comes or when that day comes we're still going to have people that are always going to be dealing with stuff and whether or not they need to just have a conversation with somebody that's like-minded or go sit down for a council meeting and hang out with people that have been through equally dark times ben mentioned in the community of the ems world you guys have a dark sense of humor you get that sense of humor that's because you can't drop those jokes around people that have a nine to five and expect them to understand it. They're going to look at you and go, what the hell is wrong with you? But somebody that, Hey, last week I had to deal with that. You're going to get it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the key is, um, you know, when you, it's hard to discuss these things with people who haven't experienced things that you've experienced. And I get it. Everybody's got their own perspective on life, but, um, how are you supposed to describe to someone something that they can't even possibly fathom and expect them to be able to help you yeah. or or even relate for that matter? No, just the fact that they're listening to you and, and letting you vent is one thing. Um, but these organizations that you're talking about, one of the best things about them is you're in contact with people that have experienced what you've experienced to an extent. Obviously, everybody's experience is different. But when you go to these places and you're talking to these people, you're talking to somebody that 
you're you're not talking to somebody that is is doesn't have any idea about these things. In a lot of cases, these are people that are have gone through those experiences themselves, went through a period of time that, of struggle, and now they're they've come full circle, having been helped themselves, and now they're trying to help other people that are in the sim- same similar situation. A lot like um, a lot of uh, psychologists that were helping people coming out of Vietnam, for instance, many of them were people that were actually in Vietnam, and it made sense for them to deal with that specific core group of individuals because they had experienced what those people had experienced, and they were able to help work their way through that. And there are a few organizations that I have dealt with myself. Um, It's very helpful to deal with people that have experienced what you've experienced because then um, the conversations can get to that point that you need it to be where you can actually start making a difference a lot quicker than than normally. So 22 Kill is a good example. You know, yeah. the people that you're going to talk to at a place like 22 Kill are people that have experienced very similar situations, obviously not exactly the same, but similar enough that the conversations are meaningful immediately. Not not it takes a few times of sitting down with them t- for them to get to know you and learn a little bit more about you that this dark sense of humor is already there. They already know that dark sense of humor. They already know that the kind of the realm that you're coming from in order for you to uh to for them to help start make a difference in your life so that's why these organizations in my opinion are a little bit more um i don't want to say valid i guess but they do better work in a very short amount of time because of the people that are there to help the people that are coming there for help if that makes sense it, it does and one of the things that i want people to think about is what organizations organizations are you supporting now? Twenty Two Kill actually has not been around long enough to have a proper uh, rating with charities, but I think CharityOverview.org, I believe, is a website, and I, I might be quoting that wrong. There's a couple entities out there that actually score charity organizations, and, and to be which is super duper important nowadays because uh, there's a lot of organizations out there that are seeking um, mostly monetary monetary funds mm-hmm. to uh, to in, in order to provide a service that they're saying they're providing that they're not actually providing. Yeah. And they're getting scored by these companies, and these companies, like, A, you have to have, like, so much of your, your income be given to the charity for you to be the nonprofit. But then from there, th- that's your profit. How much are you paying your CEO? How much are you paying these people? How much do people work for? And I'll use just for an example, Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose is a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. The lady who runs it doesn't take a dime. Her her vice president doesn't take a dime. Her treasurer doesn't take a dime. Nobody on her fucking staff is paid. It's 100% voluntary. Voluntary. Every single penny they make goes to one of a couple things. The vast, vast, vast majority of it goes to the Rose, their their charity of choice. Any other expenses they have go to expenses they have to deal with. The cost of the website, and if they can get that cost donated, they take it. The cost of, they, they had Norman Kent come in recently, and there's some uh, costs, and they're bringing Norman Kent into sure. such a large event. But it's worth it to help raise awareness because uh, Norman has such a great awareness, uh, or can bring such great awareness. Um, man, a lot of these organizations don't have good reputations. When you're going to donate to places like 22Kill, now, again, they don't have a rating, but if you go to 20, uh, again, I think it's charityoverview.org. If you go and you look it up, 
they have links to all of 22 Kills financials because they have to release all these statements as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And and you'll see what they are doing, and you'll see that their numbers look pretty good. Go to someplace, by the way, and look up the charity rating of Goodwill. Just just do yourself a favor. (laughs) If you've not figured that out, why do you laugh, David? (laughs) Because it's a fucking joke, isn't it? March of Dimes, Goodwill. Dude, uh, man, there's so many of these super big names. And I love the fact that these people exist for one reason and one reason only. They bring about the fact that we need to be giving and helping others, although those charities don't do it. The thing I hate is they're so accessible, that's what most people give to. So one funny thing, uh, not funny, but we're talking about these things, and yeah, those charities that you just mentioned, they're they're in it for the money, dude. They're... like you can look at their financials, people don't because they have a they have that reputation of oh they're doing something good. I'm they're gonna I'm gonna that. I'm gonna give them five dollars as I'm going into the supermarket and I'm gonna feel better about myself. Well, here's something you can do. So go onto 22kill.com's website. They have a section on there. It's on the drop down bar. Volunteering. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say the don't biggest, give them a the, the like, biggest uh, contribution you can make to most of these organizations is your time. Yeah, because you don't get that back if, if they. <laughs> If they are more willing to take your time than your money, that means a lot. And you just said it. You don't get that back. No. You're putting, guess what? You're putting your time up there. That's a current, that t- we don't get it back. We're, we, we You're don't replaceable have, resource. I, I can't replace my time. I can always replace money. So when I reached out to Sean, and again, Sean Cummings, outreach coordinator, he's one of the guys you will be talking to if you ever want to volunteer for that organization, 22kill.com. Um... I reached out. I was like, dude, I just want to know how I can contribute. I went in, and they were short-staffed for the for the week. They had a load of shirts come in because, again, they, they're selling some shirts for events and stuff like that. I spent four or five hours folding shirts, just helping out around the office. And then guess what? That I, Then I helped out with an event like the next week, how, talking about the organization, talking to people about what they do and I didn't give them a dime but I gave them my time because time is something that they need as a nonprofit if you're a real nonprofit you're not paying your your people tons and tons of money because it's going back into the organization yeah and that's part of it you know you give them your time because that's valuable that's valuable to them more than giving them five dollars you know, we talked about this before uh, when it comes to uh, giving money to uh, particular charities. And you mentioned Jump for the Rose, and one of the things that mm-hmm. uh, we had talked about in the past is what's a very easy way to donate to uh, organizations that you that you know, first of all, are good organizations, and um, and that you want to contribute to. Smile at, was it smile.amazon? Smile.amazon.com. So it doesn't really matter who you support. I'm going to promote it for one second for Jump for the Rose. Yeah. I go to, on my computer, I don't have amazon.com saved. I have smile.amazon.com saved. And when you go there, it says you can pick this charity. And it's a fucking huge huge list. list of charities. And you can submit your charity to be there. Jump for the Rose submitted their charity. And I think it's uh, a percent of every penny or something like that. Super low. At the end of the day, every purchase that you make, um, when you go to smile.amazon.com and select the organization that you want to donate to, uh, if it's on that list, 
every purchase you make, there's some, uh, they donate money to that cause. Yeah. And if you're anything like me nowadays, I do a lot of my shopping on Amazon. Ooh, I got some packages coming here for <laughs> the rating center in Dallas yeah. tomorrow from Amazon. Yeah. Um, the one thing you need to be aware of this is, so first of all, they don't charge you any extra. They don't charge the, pro- the organization they're giving to anything. This is coming straight out of Amazon's pocket. I've tried it. I've tested it. I've gone to Amazon.com and tried to buy something and then smile.amazon. The price is identical. So, and Jump for the Rose isn't going to charge anything. So it's free money as far as to me and to Jump for the Rose, not necessarily to Amazon. Um, and I think there are some stipulations for groups that are on that list, correct? Yeah, and I don't know them because I've never registered from that end, but as an end user. But at least they're considered, I believe, nonprofit yeah. organizations if yes. they've made it to that list. There's a vetting process that Amazon puts them through. Yes, you've got to have your, your certificates. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you've got to know is you go to smile.amazon.com, you pick the organization, but from there you must always shop on smile.amazon.com. Right. If I go to my Amazon app or just amazon.com, it will not reach my charity. So on my phone, the Amazon app is buried. It's I have it just in case I need the app for some weird reason. It's buried. And I saved it to my home screen smile.amazon.com and I just surf Amazon by going to that as if it were my app. It's not as smooth as the app. Oh my god, it's just as easy as the fucking app, man. It, my, <laughs> my, my, my Hank, I love Hank to death. Hank can use that website. Hank is the most technologically challenged person in the world. I mean, it, it, I love Hank to death, but it, it, when it comes to technology and Hank, it's he always look at his phone. His screen protector on his phone is always the wrong screen protector. If he has like an iPhone seven with a large screen, he's probably got an iPhone four small screen screen protector on it. And, the, and once upon a time, he had a Samsung screen protector on his iPhone because he can't get the right screen protector for his phone. I love the boy to death. He can use smile.amazon.com. It's, it's just as easy as the app. So make sure you're shopping at the right place, and not just registering your Amazon account, uh, Amazon account at the right place. Uh, man, we turn into a pumpkin at a certain time, so I do want to start wrapping things up. But as yeah. we do that, anything else you want to bring in about 22 Kill or any of these other veteran organizations? Uh, I would just say just a shout-out to 22kill.com and to Ryan at Bird's Eye View Project. Man, like, those guys, they, they're making it happen. They're bringing more awareness, and all I can say is thank you for letting me have the opportunity um, I actually talked to Ryan about two months ago over the phone. I'm like, yo, so I know Sean's on the bomb squad. Uh, I don't care where this is happening. I want to be his TI. <laughs> He's like, well, I'll stay in touch with you. We'll, we'll make it happen. It's going to be happening in Dallas. He had to come all the way out here, and I had to hire him and for him to do it. And now that it's over, he's all talking about leaving now. Uh, it, mm, quitter. Yeah, quitter. Well, quitter. No, quitter. Quitter. <laughs> so check him out. Dick. <laughs> Hey, you've met Ben Nelson. <laughs> Grumpy I'm cat. still your boss. You just called me a dick. <laughs> Actually, it's accurate. So and you love you hugs. Yeah. Ben Nelson loves hugs. Yeah, if you see Ben around the drop zone, he will be so grateful if you just walk up to him and give him a big bear hug. It's one of those things that no, that's the answer to that is no. <laughs> DJ knows what I'm talking about. I'm not necessarily necessarily. Do, do you want me to tell everybody to touch your face? Because you no. everybody knows how much you love to t- people touching your face. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. Touching my face, really, I have violent reactions to. I don't do well. People will challenge it as a game. No, there's certain like pet peeves we all have that are really, really, really difficult. Touching my face, I have like somebody's touched my face from behind and just I've turned around violently, swinging, <laughs> reacting because I have no clue. It's like, what the fuck. Um, I, I'm much better at it today. 
Uh, my buddy Stephen Boyd has seen me go like from high ends and lows of it. So is Valerie. <laughs> um, people consider l- hugging my. Face DJ touching. face touching. Okay. I Pe- just don't want people puking on me. <laughs> people will say, "My, but your wife touches your face." I'm like, "Yeah, I also kiss her on the mouth. I won't kiss you on the mouth unless you're Nick Lott. Um, there's a level mm, of comfort. That's that true comes. story. I'll let Nick Lott hug me as much as he wants. Those are called mouth hugs, my friend. Mouth hugs. I'll take whatever hug I can get with him. Yeah. So, guys, gals, check out these organizations. Help these people out. These veterans, you don't have to agree with war. You don't have to agree with conflict. You don't have to agree with the politics of it all. And I don't agree with every war and conflict we've been in with America. But what I know is these firemen who are fighting fires, these law enforcement guys who are protecting our rights, and not all of them are good and not all of them are bad. These military who are fighting these fights, they're not always agreeing with what they're doing, but yet they're doing it. And part of it is what they've signed up to do. Part of it is they're doing it to protect our freedom, to protect our safety, to protect our homes. And man, they're suffering today. I, I, I've, if you know me at all, the military is so, so heavy on my heart. I really feel like military is one of our more underappreciated school teachers, another one of our more underappreciated uh, jobs out there. And, and, and so check them out. Anything else you want to share with these folks? Uh, just thank you guys for the opportunity, and I will just put a little caveat on that. Service doesn't give you a choice. You've made the choice by doing the service, and regardless of whether or not you're a school teacher, a firefighter, or a policeman, you have decided to serve, and that is your choice. And we deserve, they deserve to get back on that. Yeah, so. man. You don't have to agree with the politics, but you got to understand no. they're there for us. And if they weren't, we'd be in a bad spot. And their family is there for us. Let's be there for them. Mr. Nelson, brother, it's so good to have you back on the show. We need to have you back down in Houston to visit again. That's never going to happen. Well, I can't argue <laughs> with at, that. At this rate, it's probably never going to happen. Your office has worked out fairly well. Uh, Mainly because I got a big office, which is kind of one of the benefits of being up here. And this table works out fairly nice. Dude, your office is I think I'm getting rid of this table. Your office is weak. Thomas Hughes. I know. I don't even talk has about the it. Office. I don't want to hear it. Dude, we, we played a football Screw game you, Thomas. in Thomas's office right next to the Super Bowl going on in his office. Dude, it is the the biggest office, the biggest room besides a packing room in all of Spaceland is Thomas's ridiculous <laughs> office. Nobody likes you, Thomas. Just throwing that out there. Well, I, l- I love you, Thomas. Ben Shut up, Peter. Ben set the standard. That's why all the guys are arguing about who's going to have the next office. <laughs> yeah, Steve's already said we're making your office smaller. Does he have a kegerator in his office? Because I see my kegerator over there. <laughs> he does not. Exactly. Exactly. Your empty kegerator. It is empty. God okay, cool. Um, ben, thank you for letting us be here. We'll set it up yeah. again. We'll do some more of these remote sets. This is fun. Uh, guys and gals, really appreciate you tuning in. We have a few things coming up. December 1st, we have movie night at Skydive Spaceland Houston. We're going to throw up the 100-inch screen. We're going to throw up the projector. Go to Gravity Lab Facebook page. Check out the event listing. Vote for the movie that you want to play. So far, it is between the original Point Break and Drop Zone. Those are the top two Ooh, picks so both far. Both good choices. Ooh, super, what, super no hard. Cutaway? Cutaway's <laughs> no on that Cutaway's list. on there, but Dude, nobody's I voted love for it. <laughs> fucking, I'm voting for Cutaway, motherfucker. I'll fucking yeah. vote for Cutaway. That's shit is epic. Hold on, hold on. Isn't Bill Booth in Cutaway? Yes, the yes. opening scene when yes. he get when... Oh, yes. this is so sad. When the... Whatever Baldwin brother it's in that. He gets the Drop Zone, Bill Booth is on a load. Yeah. <laughs> is it Billy Baldwin? Um, no, no uh, it's Stephen. Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin, yeah. Um, and they call him a woofo. 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 Yeah. Um, I'll see you on the flight line. <laughs> Bill Booth is also in a John Grisham movie. Really? Yeah, he's a pilot in um, 
which John Grisham movie? I want to say it was The Client where they they hop into a seaplane and take off, the one with Tom Cruise in it. Okay. That was Bill Booth was the pilot. <laughs> so Bill Booth has a couple of little weird things going on. Dude, man, uh, I actually have a goal maybe one day of sitting down with Bill Booth on the show, and I don't care about Bill Booth's skydiving stories, and I respect Bill a lot. He's got some really cool skydiving stories. He's the father of the tandem system. He's the father of the three-ring system. He's the father of the... Mar- man, whatever. Bill Booth has been to so many cool places, man. <laughs> the guy can play a piano like, oh my God, the guy's amazing, just amazing. So I can't wait to share his story. Maybe one day we'll talk about get, getting him on. It's on the list. Check out Gravity Labs Movie Night. We have it coming up. Vote for the movie. Let us know what you like. Um, we've got to throw a special shout out, a special thanks to Velocity Sports Equipment, the maker of Infinity Rigs, the most uncomfortable rig on the market. Absolutely my favorite rig on the market. Keep an eye out soon. They're going to be announcing the MARD. We are working on that i say we nick and i are on part of that project and we'll let you know thanks to andres perez and the good guys detail the good guys detail are mobile throughout texas you need your car wash you need your car clean they can do it anywhere in the month of february excuse me november only they will do a high huge discount for ceramic coating on your car in the houston area only for that one so uh, hit me up, hit up the good guys detail. It's $700 for that ceramic coat in Houston only for the month of November. Um, it's normally about a $950 value. So you're going to save a lot of money no matter what. Mention Gravity Lab and they'll hook you up with a discount. Can I give one shameless plug? Go for it, brother. One shameless plug. So we're moving into winter. Uh, we're about to be, it's almost It's almost December. Jeez, it's yeah. almost December. Yeah, Are you kidding 15 me? more days. So uh, we're moving into January, February. PIA is coming to Dallas. The board, USPA board meetings coming to Dallas, and uh, Skydive Spaceland Dallas is going to host an opportunity for uh, uh, USPA members to come out and jump with the board of directors here at the Drop Zone. Come meet your board of directors, even if we're not jumping. Come on out and, and rub shoulders with them. Go to PIA, go to the USPA board meeting, and uh, become, become active uh, in your membership. Guys and gals, we really appreciate it. Next week... On Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, we're going to have one of our Jump Package members from Spaceland Houston join us, a young lady named Brooke Ray Dawson. Brooke's super nice Canadian gal. Takes a little bit different look on the Jump Package. She's not going for the most jumps. It's a year-long vacation. So you've heard what it's like to jump all you can. What's it like to come out and make only about 600 jumps in the year? So it's still worth your money. Only. Yeah, only. Yeah. And make it a vacation. Remember back in the day when 600 jumps Ooh. was a lot? Dude, I, I was like, oh, my God, you got 600 jumps. You must be God. Guys, gals, till then, we're Grab Lab Radio. Blue skies. Peace out. Later. We're out. Anybody want to take a look at what I got on my iPad right now? Let's look at my iPad. Oh, wow. Are we on another hold right now?